Tonight's show is sponsored by Diabolic DVD. For over 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers all around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Cauldron Films, Arrow, Synapse, Severin, Mondo Macabro, and many more from all corners of the globe. Whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you have been craving. Shop online at diabolicdvd.com or visit our sister company, cauldron-films.com. P.S. All orders are shipped in a box, so visit now at diabolikdvd.com. Have you ever tried to watch a film rendition of your favorite Edgar Allan Poe stories? They're usually nothing like the story, or they just suck so bad it's unwatchable. This Halloween, give yourself a treat and watch the Emmy Award-winning films by Poe Movies. Referred to as homicidal eye candy, these films are just like the hair-raising tales you used to read back in the day. The cask of Amontillado, The Raven, and the latest film, The Telltale Heart, are free on YouTube. That's right, free. Search for Poe Movies on YouTube and watch The Telltale Heart today. Welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your host, Creepy Ulrich Kane, because it's our Halloween spirit, joined by the much creepier PhD-infused academic creep, Rebecca McHenry. Revolting, Rebecca McHenry. Hello. Happy Halloween. We are like a week out from Halloween now. I'm super excited. Yeah, I haven't really noticed this year. It's all gone by in a mess of days. I've got to say, it's like I have done so little. You've done all this Halloweening stuff while I was away, but I've done so little that I'd not, the spirit hasn't got me yet. So I need to get, I need to find it. I had a couple moments, but like going to a city is different. It's not the same, you know? Um, yeah, you've been in New York City for the past week. So I feel like we we haven't chatted as much because you've been on a different sleep schedule and in movies the whole time. I've certainly been on a different different sleep schedule. I get to New York and I, which which led me to uh, a movie I'm very excited to talk about this week, uh, but not being able to sleep till probably about 3 a.m. when I'm there. Yeah, I was going to say, I, know, I noticed I was very asleep by this time, but you texted me at 3.15 New York yeah. time, which is 12.15 our time. And I was already in bed. Yeah, that's kind um, of how and then it I, was. When I saw it the next morning, I was like, what the fuck was he doing up? Yeah, I saw a party. Few, yeah, no, I saw a few things. But no, I, I, I'll i get to a couple of things I, I did do that were super cool. A festival I'll get to later on uh, that I saw. But yeah, no, going to New York. I go to New York around this time for work each time. And I always end up missing the Exhumed Film Fest uh, 24-hour Harathon. And I've wanted to go every year for the last like seven or eight years and this year i thought the dates were going to line up and of course they didn't and so is this the one at the new beverly yeah my friend webb there and no no this is the one at um oh in new york exhumed they do it in the theater where the blob it's in philadelphia i think now because it's where the blob the colonial theater i think it's called anyway i missed that again so that was a bummer but i so i made sure i went to a different film festival but we'll get to that in a minute but yeah so i I just but i i went to a pumpkin patch stuff you know before i left um with the kids and that was fun and gets me a little bit in the spirit, but there's something, I think I'm just used to doing so many activities 
that by not doing them this year, I'm not there yet. I like I missed horror trivia being in in Halloween. I've missed uh, your you missed my party. party. You never invite me anyway. People think oh. we're friends on this, but that you, she wouldn't have invited me, guys. Like I would have never you, invited him. She, I'm she like that guy wants to she come. Doesn't let me. She doesn't. She's got a very exclusive. You missed one. it. The kids haunted the camper. I saw those like, photos. That was cute. I like that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, like because they really wanted to make a haunted house in the backyard, and I was like. That's a whole thing I don't have fucking you know, time for. With all the kids who do startup like lemonade stands, this could actually work right now. Like, you know, you could have little maps to the haunted camper. You could park. You could give them like some like little pumpkin spice, something outside. That could be pretty good. It could be a money maker for those guys. I charge two bits of gander and yeah. uh, my kids have paid for their college funds. Yeah, I like um, it. So, but... No, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to kind of set that because it reminded me that when I was a kid, I used to haunt our carport. My parents had this wraparound carport. Um, still do, but it was very much, it wrapped the entire house. So I used to treat it like you would walk into one room and I would divide them up with sheets of black, um, Mm. like, um, trash bags. And I would make these little rooms on the wrap porch. And so each room, this is the cannibal room. And then I just set up my toys. Um, but it was always so much fun to do. And then to see my kids like, we want to make a haunted house in the backyard. I was suddenly like, I'm going to have to clean that shit up. Let's just put shit in the camper. Um, and it was a blast. So, But I have watched a ton of stuff. Um, so much so that I'm going to hold some of it to next show. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've watched a lot of really good stuff. Oh yeah, I'm going to hold it just about the new the new films on to Today. But I will say a couple shout outs. Uh, I was sitting. Nothing will make you feel better than I'm sitting on a street corner in Brooklyn with uh, my friend Webb and we're having lunch and uh, this big dude, like really tall, uh, turns around, double takes, walks over to us. And his name was Omar, I believe. Shout out if you're listening, Omar. And he's just said, oh, man, are you Arcane? I love your shows, blah, blah, blah. He had no idea there was a horror festival like down the street from him. So I was just like, oh, it's going to be an offshoot from that. So he was super cool. And I'm and a couple others. When I got off the plane, when I came back, a guy who had just been to the Exim Film Festival came right up to me and same same thing so you know if you ever see us in the wild we're podcasters we're not used to people knowing what we look like so it's always oh god it's always uh it is it always is a nice treat and it was of all the people in new york that felt pretty random i've got to say so that was a nice little moment and I will also say I went to Monster Palooza and um, Elric and I usually, even though we never hang out outside of the podcast, supposedly, no. um, we always go to conventions together. So this one, I'm like walking around with my kids and every single person that came up, I got, you're Rebecca McKendry. Where's Elric? Um, and it was immediately like I was supposed to be there with you. And you're like, you I didn't invite him. I don't invite him places. So yeah. Um, But yeah, it was very much like we, we are supposed to be at these things together. So I felt, I felt your absence at monster Palooza, which was fun. It was a really fun night. Yeah. And and I'm maybe I need a last second, like before Halloween, a last second going to one of these, like, I don't know, like universal or something with the heart. You want to do universal. I just just feel like something's missing. I haven't had the, and I don't want, you know, it's not because the movies have never been better. The movies coming out right now, this is probably actually one of the best Halloween seasons of uh, horror movies. So I can't Mm -hmm. complain there. I think it's just, sometimes you're just a little out of the loop of your normal horror routines so or did you get tickets for the arrow for their 24 nah, saturday I, I think it's sold out it now. sold out i was going to but there were all ones i kind of had recently oh at least from what i could am guessing there i think i'd seen most of them so i was a little less i, I struggle to go to ones unless there's one thing where it's like oh i need to see that 
they showed people who own the dark at the new Bev uh-huh, one. Yeah. And I would have like removed digits to go see yeah. that in 35 millimeter. Yeah. That's a good one. So. That was one. Of, yeah. That actually had, that had some pretty good ones in there. I think it was a pretty good lineup. Um, mm-hmm. Phil always does a good job, but I do. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just something like that. I'll, I'll I can't, it. I'm suck. I suck at 24 hours. Like I know I wouldn't make it past. Like I'd make it through the second movie and the third, I'd be like, I'm game. And then 10 minutes in, I'd just be out. Um, But I've been wanting to go to reign of terror. It's the haunted house i went years ago and haven't been Where back is it? And it was i don't even remember it's, it's, a, like, it's a haunted here. house you um, walk through mm-hmm. yeah it's like a walk through oh, and i know. remember it, i remember it being really cool and then this year i'd heard from a bunch of our friends that like they did a really good job this hmm. year so yeah we should consider okay. going back doing something crazy like that um yeah we definitely need our halloween dose i've done monster palooza i um yeah we've been to movies and kind of made the rounds and everything so yeah i've definitely been deep into the halloween spirit i've got my apple cider and my pumpkin jojos and so it's been a pretty fulfilling season thus far but with that i've also watched a ridiculous amount of stuff but first what did you watch at the convention or the I'll, i'll end with those because we have to start with halloween ends halloween ends yeah i saw it did you see it i didn't okay Mm -mm. uh so David Gordon Reed did a trilogy. They have Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. Awesome. Now, I will say about this movie, because I don't like to talk ill. Um, I, I think, weirdly, I think I'd actually, enjoy, I think I rated it lower than the second one, but I think I like it more than the second one. But if Michael Myers wasn't in it, I think this would be a really cool, like, weird 80s romance kind of fun weird movie because it's actually got that the first 10 minutes is great i was really in at the start it was like it opens very surprisingly it's nothing to do with michael myers or any of that it just opens with a almost like its own little i think you'd quite like it the opening of this movie it opens like its own babysitter tale but it's a male babysitter which you never see and he comes to help help out and it just starts to progress from there and on that level if you just chart that story i'm not going to get into spoilers because this is i mean i started on peacock when it opened um but as a as a halloween movie to end this particular trilogy i was just like what the fuck were they thinking like it just was not it's it was completely baffling to me personally i i think this is one of those weird trilogies where the first one if it was just left now if you forgot about the other two i think over time it would probably age pretty well like as its soul and it kind of is it tells a whole story in it i mean they they shoot him and the house is on fire it's like you could end it there uh i don't know what's going on by the by the second two and then this one really this one you might like because it takes crazy bolt strings but you also will probably have a similar feeling like i mean somebody who doesn't like slasher films and it's not that you don't like them but somebody who's less drawn to that element yeah, you might find I don't like the formulaic yeah. ones. You might like, actually enjoy some of the crazy swings in this because uh, they are interesting. I mean, it's no one's done anything this crazy since part three and Halloween three, which is a perfect movie. But that's okay. but that's not Michael Myers. That's the problem is that doesn't have Michael Myers. And that, that's what people had issues with back in the day. But now they love it because it's its own movie. This does have Michael Myers and you're doing something really crazy with it. And so it's, yeah, I'm definitely a bit torn, but I was underwhelmed um, as, as part of the Halloween franchise, personally. What are you going to do? You know, I, I was planning to go see it um, because I was going to go by myself and um, my students had had mixed reviews. And then I was like, I'll just catch that on Peacock eventually. And I went to see Amsterdam instead, okay, yeah. um, which was it was fun. Um, it was long, but yeah. fun. Not a horror film. But yeah, um, I'll get to it again out of. 
and I say this with love out of all of the franchises, Halloween is always the one that kind of hits with me the least. Like I will watch every Friday, the 13th and repetition, um, Hellraiser I'm there, you know, ghoulies, it doesn't matter. Um, but for some reason, Halloween, like one in three, I dig. And then after that, they kind of, I, they blend together for well, me. it's fascinating um, but, that like, and the one yeah. thing I tend to like, I've been saying the last few days is like, you know, Lord of the Rings is a big fucking book that generated three movies, and that was the reason they created three movies back then. Was like, like literally, there were there was an expectation for him to make one movie, Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. and he had this genius, crazy idea to make three movies. The idea that ha- the first Halloween is this very thin movie, like it's a like really yeah. good movie because of the style of the movie and, and and but it's such a thin movie the idea that it has spawned what like 10 uh, nine, 10. nine, 10. Yeah. No, no more. No. Cause there's six of just the first. Yeah. No, it's more like 12. And then it, two Rob Zombies. I mean, I'm adding, yeah. including the zombies, just the idea that there's that much, it means we're adding a story to something that actually was better without story. Like, especially Michael Myers is better as the shark, as the thing you don't know, mm-hmm. the thing you can't. And so for me, the shark, yeah. the shape. Well, no, I'm saying he's like a shark. He, he is the shape. Oh, oh, okay. But he operated like a shark. Like we didn't do nothing. I'm going to, and I was enjoying the idea that you went to say the shape, but instead you said the shark. I think both and are then cool. it was like doll's eyes. The shark shape. Dark, like doll's eyes. But but that's not to look. And some people love the, and they do really well. So I understand. Don't get me wrong. It's like not even a knock on Blumhouse because, of course, if they, mm-hmm. they make this much money, of course you're going to make them. Holy fuck, they made but, so much money off this. Well done to the point that I don't think that this is the end. But we'll see. I mean, like, I don't expect them to cut down this money tree just because they happen to title it the end. I will say I am on, this will sound, for someone who's like coming, like kind of dissing this right this, this moment, I would be on board to see uh, Daniel Harris's storyline continue. Like like to go back to her two movies that she had and give that the kind of final chapter treatment, I would actually watch that because her character, you know, we watched those two movies back in the day and mm-hmm. they're fun and they they have, you know, they're closest to the Halloween vibe uh, of the original. But again, otherwise I, you know, like all these things. And now I, there's going to be another trilogy of Exorcist films and I'm just like I, with David Gordon Green. Yep. I'm, I kind of miss <laughs> David Gordon Green's non-horror stuff. I think he was a very good, interesting director early on and i'm just i don't know they, they just kind of baffled me a little bit but um but there is some cool stuff in this one especially tonally uh and hey they took a swing what are you gonna do mm-hmm. well i will definitely be circling back to this one yeah. do it on peacock yeah in the meantime i dove into some of the fine horror television that has been coming out lately and i'm gonna start with the midnight club on netflix this is mike flanagan's newest creation um some of the episodes were directed by axel carolyn who's a friend of ours who's been on the show before and i was super excited about this one because it is taking its influence from christopher pike and for those of you who were not teen girls in the 90s um rl stein was scary Christopher Pike was like fucking bonkers sleazy. Like I was a Christopher Pike girl because R.L. Stein was doing like goosebumps and even he had Fear Street stuff. And yeah, it was scary. It was cool. But man, if you wanted like weird, sexy, serial killer, psychotic type stuff, that was all Christopher Pike. And so when I heard that they were doing this one, um, I was super intrigued and excited. And they do a really good job of kind of repping all of the author's stories because It is, um, and I really enjoy the formula of this, it is primarily a through line with these kids, and I'll get into that in a sec, but it's like 75% like a through line story with these kids, and then 25% anthology, where they're actually telling stories within their own stories. So the whole concept of it is that um, it is set in a 
what would you even call it? Not a convalescent home, like the place where people go when they're terminal. Yeah, I, th- um, I think we, I, I saw the first two of these a while, uh, last time, I think, and I didn't, I think we couldn't get the name right there. Yeah, uh, we and couldn't I've, even and remember I've, the and name. And sadly, yeah. I've been in one and they, they are uh, not, the, you know, not great places. Hospice. Hospice, yes. It's like a hospice. That was it. Yes, my grand, I remember visiting my grandmother yeah. in one. Um, And so it's the place where you go when you're terminal and there are no more treatments and it's just kind of like giving you care, but just, you know, waiting for the inevitable. And this hospice is um, with eight kids, all teenagers and all with different things. Like one has AIDS, one has cancer. Um, Our protagonist has thyroid cancer, um, our main protagonist. And she wants to go to this particular place, Briarcliff, because she read a story that long ago, a girl was able, one of the, the residents there, Whereas everyone else who has been there has always died because they're terminal. She read a news article that one girl many years ago had been able to cure her thyroid cancer. And so she went to this place with this specific curiosity of figuring out who this girl was and how she did that. And, um, and so she ends up kind of moving into this, this hospice care. She meets the other kids there and it's real bleak. I mean, like, I will not say this is not like, you know, a, a, a fun place to be. It is eight kids who all know they are going to die and they are all really, you know, messed up because of that. They all have this real bleak outlook. There is this kind of dark cynicism that comes along with it, where they're constantly joking about death and how much time they have left and their own diseases. And, um, you know, the things that they're not getting to do become their source of humor just because it's what they're going through. This is not the place that I would have immediately been like, let's set a fun horror story there, but somehow it works and somehow it's functional. I will say it does get so dark at points, um, especially after things start happening with the kids that I had problems binging this. Um, whereas I think with like Fear Street or some of these other kind of more YA horrors, I, it's very bingeable. And I will be like, I will watch 20 episodes of Stranger Things in a row and enjoy every minute of it. Like the first night this came out, I watched two episodes and then I was like, I, I can't take it anymore. These like terminal kids who are dying off. It's, it's rough, but the stories are really good. And so um, I have enjoyed this, but found it to be a different watch for me because it is so heavy. I mean, like, and you know what's coming. The episode one is entitled The Final Chapter. Um, and basically it opens with all these kids acknowledging that they are going to die there. And they, um, what they do is they have like a hard bedtime at 10 o'clock where they all have to go to bed and then they all sneak back out and go to this central living room and they tell ghost stories, um, about residents who once lived there. And it's very much this understanding that they know that they are all very soon going to become ghosts. So they want to immortalize the ghost ghosts that have come before them by acknowledging them. And it's absolutely beautiful, but a total fucking downer. Um, and that's been How kind far of are you in? I finished it. Oh, okay. Does and yeah. does it okay. Yeah, I don't want to ask because it's all spoiler. I was two in and what was slowing me down, eh, it's a sure it's a bummer, but I think it was more the actual anthology version like the fact that the a story wasn't carrying me through quickly enough. So because mm-hmm. I was stopping to listen to their stories. So I was curious if it gets more a story as it goes along or does it stay it with, does okay. 
It totally does. I mean, I think you learn in the first two episodes that there was a lot happening at Briarcliff before it became a hospice where it was like a cult used to live there. There was a lot of supernatural ceremonies there that, you know, some of the kids went missing and things like that. So you find out all that stuff. It totally goes deep, deep into that. Okay. Well, I I will definitely finish over time, but yeah, yeah, I agreed. I usually been like wanting to that kind of series is so easy emotionally to just jump all the way in um okay another one i uh i got a couple sequels for you uh another vhs movie has come out vhs 99 i watched in my hotel room at 1 a.m the other day uh and like all of these movies it has a mixed bag uh it was hard to rate i gave it you know like three stars overall but i was like well but like there's a couple stories i thought were like kind of two star i really didn't care for a couple of them one is fucking awesome previous guest of our old show johannes roberts crushing oh, crushing with you will, you will so you will love you, it will be one of your favorite entries ever because it is a sorority hazing prank gone wrong that involves a coffin and it is fucking baller it is a really great short and it's and it really stands out so much that it's like i want a feature like as soon as Zanda's like okay that needs to be a feature it was so good it was called uh, suicide bid and i also thought um other people i just talked about joseph winter and vanessa winter their seg the dead stream yeah their segment um was like just wild like it's one of those ones where they go okay it's not what you expect from vhs movie because it goes a lot bigger alternate dimensions and kind of just really out there uh and that what it's called to hell and back and i liked both of those a lot i mean the others are interesting there's interesting segments but i didn't i just personally didn't like uh kid but i love i I, i'm i'm like team let vhs movies happen forever like just keep reinventing Mm -hmm. i I saw a good tweet somebody tweeted like oh we should do like vhs japan vhs Korea, like different countries should get and i think that's a good idea too like as long as their entries and low budgets and the kind of challenge of how would you make that an interesting story but but this one definitely has a couple entries uh but for you you have to see the the suicide bid one because i think you'll really enjoy it and that one it just hit shutter a couple days ago so so they actually just released a press release today. So it basically broke Shutter. It was the biggest opening weekend oh. um, views that they've had in the entire history of oh, Shutter. I wonder why um, that was particular VHS ninety nine. I know I was intrigued as well, but I think it's because that one um, it's a sequel to a franchise that is well known with horror fans, yeah. like even you know beyond like the little corners like us who watch every indie horror that comes out. Like VHS is something that all my students know and really love like they know the original um so i could see people really gravitating to watch a new one with that because it is part of this larger franchise well, that's good um and then I'll, I'll talk about this now before we get into other stuff because it was i'm still kind of reeling from this experience so i uh my night i, I met my friend and we walk in new york new york's a great walking town he has step a step counter and we're walking like all day basically and at the end of the night uh it's about seven o'clock eight o'clock he's about to leave he looks at it we had walked 13 miles in the day which i was, was like okay that's a lot of walking especially when you're from la where no one gets to walk here um and so i decided i would see a couple movies by myself because i knew i wouldn't sleep i started with park chan wook's brand new movie i love park chan wook one of my favorite direct living directors and it's a total masterpiece uh, called decision to leave not horror but definitely hitchcockian thriller it almost reminded me more of basic instinct than hitchcock everyone keeps talking about hitchcock but i'm like it also it's like a classy version of a paul verhoeven movie um and it's kind of that same kind of story anyway that ended about 11 and then i put my money where my mouth was because last 
episode, I talked about seeing Terrifier because of the trends I'd heard about Terrifier too. So I watched Terrifier and I think I gave it two stars and I really didn't care for it. Just felt like a vehicle to show the, a character and cut up some bodies. It didn't have a, Mm -hmm. it didn't have a protagonist really like a strong, there were just victims. Um, And so I only went, this is true. I only went to this movie. This is why I'm going to I think I'm the perfect case study for this movie. Uh, this movie is doing really well in the box office and all these people are going and I'm just like, oh, okay, they must be all these like Terrifier fans who somehow have just gone behind this little indie and that's cool. But because it was like Brad Miska and Steve Barton and Bloody Disgusting, I really want to, to actually support it with my money. Uh, somebody wrote to me and said, I'll send you a screener. I heard you talk about it. And I said, no, I'm going to go see it in theaters. I'm going to support at 11 o'clock at night at two and a half hour horror film i don't like long horror films and this is two and a half hours i don't particularly like clowns i didn't like terrifier i am the perfect person to go to this movie this is one of the best movies of the year one of the most like excitingly crazy practical effects that will it's like the difference like people who would say it's the difference between evil dead and evil dead 2 are so far off because evil dead is a masterpiece and evil dead 2 is a masterpiece like for me i i just sat in the theater and about five minutes in i started to feel differently the production values were higher the gags are in, like i feel like every horror fan who's ever liked a gore film has to see this movie because i didn't realize damien leone the director of this film does all the practical effects and the practical effects in this movie i haven't felt this way watching a movie since the 80s it is exactly like those that experience of where you'd watch something and it'd go so crazy with the practical gore gag and then it one-ups itself and then there's a sequence in this where one particular girl is getting attacked in a bedroom. And I've got to say, it's one of the most incredible practical effects sequences. It's disturbing, gross. Now, the things about people passing out and puking, I'm sure that's probably true because there's some really gross that stuff. But I was in a room with a bunch of random people who I bet none of them saw Terrifier. Like, I just got that vibe. I looked around, there are a lot of young people and just random people on a Friday night in New York City. And they were laughing. They were yelling. They were having the best time I've seen. Like, Barbarian's still my favorite. And Smiler, like, more my kind of thing. And they're more, most... But this thing had a totally different experience. But the there are multiple scenes that are so fucked up in terms of what the gore is doing and what the horror is that you're like, Oh my God, like, how did you even do that? And you, then you kind of laugh and it takes a while to win you over. I don't think for me, this one would have been harder if I just seen it at home the first time. And I know it's about to come to, it's got one more big weekend coming up in, in theaters and then it will go straight to screen box. Um, and it will have a huge cult. It, it, this is a true, I can't say, say it enough. I've been trying, like I've been preaching about it, I think because it keeps getting better in my head too, since it ended. But the number one thing it does, Art the Clowns, you know, even better done. The gags are incredible and the effects are like the best, they're the best like practical effects I've seen this year for sure. Like just wild and wild stuff. But what where the movie goes up and why I think this is so um, going to become like, kind of like a new Freddy for some people is the female protagonist is a, they, they, he he's purposely built a, a heroine with a real story. And she's a really, I thought the actress was great. Um, and she's just got presence and you kind of are rooting for her the whole time. And so the first one, you just are watching a clown kill people and that you, there's no one to really care about. And so this one, you don't even need to have seen the first, they kind of recap little things that are needed, but they've got a bigger story arc. And that's why it's two and a half hours. And this is the most shocking part. You know, I always talk about wanting movies to be 88 minutes or whatever. Yeah, um, that was what put me off. I was debating it um, this week when I went to see Amsterdam. And instead I was I, like, I, I would probably see this again. Hours of a killer clown. I, I'll tell you. Uh, what shocked me is that of all the things, this is the most surprising. I didn't once 
think about time as I was watching this movie because I was so into it. I just, I, I, I've seen some reviews find it too long. I didn't notice the time because I was getting pulled and it did have a bigger story. It doesn't give all of it when it ends. Mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, because it ends with showing you a bigger picture of what this world and why, why these characters might be linked. I'm not going to say beyond yeah. that. And that makes you go, sign me the fuck up for part three. And this is coming from a guy I've never felt that way about a franchise ever that where I didn't like the first film and then I get on board. So this is, I, I, that's why I needed to rave about it because I'm like, am I crazy? Maybe. Um, but I really, there are some moments in this uh, that I, I will need you to see it only, even if you hated it, I would need you. To, I don't think you will. I think you'll actually find like later on, we're going to talk about slumber party movies. This to mm-hmm. me, besides its length, which would be harder at a, you know, sleepover, but it has all those hallmarks of an 80s sleepover movie where people would just be like, oh my God, if someone fell asleep, you'd wake them up to show them the moment because it has so many of these crazy moments. And it won't be for everyone, like for sure. A lot of people, this isn't an A24 horror film, but like given my taste and given where I'm falling on this, I think some people might be very surprised how much they might like this movie. Terrifier 2 gets my rave. That is a (laughs) hell of a review for Terrifier 2. I got to say, I'm really Um, impressed too about what it says about independent audiences, independent horror. It's over $3 million independently in a box office. I mean, that's, and I think it was only a couple hundred thousand to make. So, I mean, it tells you a lot. And I got to say, that is the one thing that I heard repeatedly this weekend from every single one of our friends that I talked to this weekend. It was a lot of people saying Terrifier 2 is real fucking watchable. Like it's a real fun movie, whether or not you like the concept of the first one, it's a hoot. And so I'm excited that that actually sounds quite lovely. Right? I know now. you'd love the Gorgon, um, some of the gags, you would just be like, holy shit. How did they even do the, some of it? You know, it's- so I've got a couple I'll, I'll quick mention at the end, but I'm going to go to the thing that I am currently obsessed with to the point that I am literally directly going to get off of taping the show and go keep watching. Um, and that is the watcher. On Netflix, this is another um, show. This one's limited series. I think it's only six, seven episodes. Um, And this is, it's actually, I mean, it's like celebrity packs. Like it's got Naomi Watts in it. It's got Mia Farrow in it, Jennifer Coolidge, Richard Kind. Um, Created by Ian Murphy, who wrote Cooties and Scream Queens and Glee. And then also Ryan Murphy. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it's just a, a beautiful combination based on a true story which fucking blows my mind once you once i kind of start talking about the plot so it is a family it sounds like the setup of a horror film where it is a family um husband wife two kids who live in a tiny little place in new york city and they decide that they are going to move out to the suburbs so they move into this beautiful giant house that they're able to afford they can't figure out why it's so cheap um but it's like an hour outside the city they move in and as soon as they get there they notice that all the neighbors are real fucking weird like every single person in this neighborhood seems obsessed with their house like getting upset when they say that they're going to change out the counters in the kitchen because those counters are, you know, they're, they're historical. You can't change that. The house has to stay the exact way that it is. Um, and that there's a couple, um, Richard kind is, is one of them, um, who sit across the street and watch them with binoculars all day. And everybody's like, Oh, they're just old. They're weird. And then there's another couple behind them. Um, an older woman and her brother who you understand has some type of mental challenges. Um, she's played by Mia Farrow and they're obsessed with the trees in the yard. Like you can't take down these trees. This, you know, this Oak has been here for hundreds of years. It's seen things. Um, And so everyone in the town seems to be obsessed with the house, even down to like the police department. 
they're there for a couple of days. It's lovely. They're like, holy shit, can't believe our luck. We got this gorgeous house. And all of a sudden they get this letter in the mail that says that, um, I'm so glad that you've moved into this house. I've been watching this house for, uh, like three decades. Someone else was watching it before me. Um, it's my job to keep an eye on the house. You'll never know who I am, but I'm always watching, making sure that the house is okay. And they're like totally creeped out and they go immediately go to the police and they're like, what's up with the weird stalker letter? It's very much like a lost highway moment mm -hmm. or like, um, like cachet mm -hmm. where it's, you know, they get this letter and it's describing things like, you know, I can see in the second floor bedroom that your daughter has taken that room. That's a very special room to me. So it's all of these specific details that, you know, somebody has really been looking in, um, and watching their house. And they go to the police officer, uh, the police, and they're like, this is weird. And the police is like, eh, crazy people in this town. They like the old house. Ignore it. Um, we don't know who did this. Ignore. And then a couple days go past more weird stuff with neighbors. And then they get another letter, but this time it's more violent. And it talks about there being tunnels in the house um, that they'll never be able to find because that no one knows where the tunnels are except for the watcher, but they can come and go as they want. And that um, they need to feed the house blood. Mm -hmm. And so it starts getting more violent. Um, by episode two, there are these moments of absolute hysteria, like just weird shit happening. And you start seeing people in the background like when they're in the house, you'll see things crossing behind them. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Um, and it's real sleazy at the same time because they keep having sex scenes. Like there's there's just all of these kind of like weird slow burn sex scenes. Um, this feels like Lifetime films on ecstasy. Mm. Like it is just so much of everything. Um, but then he, he they, by the second episode, their, their family is talking to other people who had lived in the house previously who were getting letters from the watcher and what happened to them and why they eventually had to move out because shit got real bad real quick. Um, and they're doing everything that you would think they should do in a horror film. They're installing cameras. They're putting in like crazy security systems and it's all still failing miserably. Um, and so it is very much like everything that was so cool about cachet just pushed to the nth degree and made super over the top and super sleazy and fun. And then you find out it's based on a true story. Right. And that is a whole nother rabbit hole that you can go down is finding out what the true story behind it all was. Um, so I am on the fourth episode. And if I do not go back to it tonight, my head's going to explode. <laughs> um, so it is that good. And my dog's yelling at me. So I've got a letter out, but yeah, that is the watcher on Netflix. This has been number one all week. So I suspect a lot of people are watching it even outside of kind of the horror world um i know my mom called me up and was like have you been watching this this feels like you and i'm like yeah it does this is awesome um so i'm having a really good time with this one i'll let you finish it before i decide to jump in or not mm -hmm. so part of the reason i went uh, early to new york is I, i've always wanted to go to the brooklyn horror film festival i, I watched one film remotely last episode but this is my i got to spend a, a full day there and taking some uh film so awesome team over there uh matt Brown, uh festival director uh, kayla Hare, who we've met you know worked with a bunch but not ever met uh was great uh oh i have oh, i've met, met her at fantasia uh, so, multiple oh, yeah times. you have i've never met her so seeing some people in real life heather buckley was there of course uh great to sit with her in a movie anyway i saw uh three films 
there and had a blast. And they were all kind of different. So I'll be super brief on all of them. I'll, I start, uh, The first one was I'd call Foreign Despair. It was real bleak. It might be the bleak. That's its own yeah. subtitle, Foreign Despair. That's where I'd put um, See No Evil. Oh, no, this this is definitely the other version of that. Yeah, the more stylized one. So this is called Megalomaniac uh, from Belgium. And it is very, st- very well shot. It is a, it opens, there's a guy called the Butcher of Mons. He's this big bold looks exactly like what you think a butcher looks like who's been killing woman it cuts to basically now his kids are in their 20s and he's long dead those killings were never solved they live in the mansion that he lived in and the killings have started again and this uh, girl's older brother is like going kind of carrying on the legacy and it's ugly it is mean the the this is not the pleasant uh you know when you watch something like with a serial killer where it's just glossed over that you're watching uh kind of the the darkest part of this but the way it shot is really beautiful and she is working a shitty job just trying to maintain their like life is normal even though she knows what he does she doesn't do it and it's slowly charting her shift to the even darker side because of how she badly she's treated very depressing very uh just one of those movies that feels a bit rough now that said it will definitely be like really someone's cup of tea it's that kind of movie where it's like so well made that this will be someone's favorite of the year because it just has that style but it was a pretty (laughs) a pretty bleak one to open our festival on and we went to the complete opposite end of the spectrum with a really fun full house all the cast and crew everyone was there for one that's about to come out to um shutter soon called all jacked up and full of worms which has one of the <laughs> that's a great title a great poster if you look at the poster it's like day glow and it's really cool and this is very bonkers it's kind it's a chicago made film that was made during the pandemic uh has this actress i really did called betsy brown who i almost cast in mine uh she's like an indie actress who's just been in a couple um non-horror things and she this movie is super interesting. It basically, it's very hard to describe. It's very John Waters and Helen Lauder-ish, but also kind of in the mumblecore aesthetic because yeah, mm-hmm. it's got no money, you know. Uh, and it's it's a couple friends uh, and a guy's, you know, girlfriend. Uh, they're trying looking for new highs. They're all kind of depressed. It's got interesting humor in terms of characters. One guy's, you know, thinking he's buying a sex doll from online, but it's like a little baby and uh, like a baby doll. And he's just like, it's got these weird characters. You're like, what, how is this going to come together? And at some point it comes together because there's a guy working maintenance at like a love motel. And some guy's like, Hey man, you want to try some worms? And the guy's like worms. And in this world, these worms create these crazy hallucinogenics and uh, all, basically open up other worlds. And so it's basically becomes a film where everyone's going around getting high and doing crazy weird violence and having weird hallucinations. And it's, but it's got this weird humor to it. It's very offbeat. It's absolutely not going to be for everyone, but those people who love it, this is going to be that movie. Like this will be the movie they're like, Oh, this year it's the thing they'll adopt and like fight for because it's so odd. I was somewhere in between, but I definitely d- thought it was super cool that they made it. And, and I thought it was super interesting, but it is very odd. Like some of the weird visions obviously are the more low budget part. And that's where it feels a bit mm-hmm. more Helen Lauder without, with less of a budget. Uh, um, but you know, people should look out for this one. This is the handmade horror of that I saw at the festival, which you always need to see one. And then the last one was probably my fa- my personal favorite, um, very restrained character piece. And I went to this one because our um, our buddy Kyle Gallner was in it, and it was, mm-hmm. and he had, had been having a killer uh, year, really, like just crushing it with so many movies. This one's called Mother May I, and it's um by the director is one of the co-writers of that movie a couple years ago called Porno that we watched. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing like that. That's what's interesting because that's why a very kind of sophomoric and jokey kind of movie. This is very serious. So it is, I think you'd dig this one. It is and Holland Roden, who's the actress from uh Teen Wolf. It's basically uh this couple, he his mom has just died. He didn't 
know her. He was abandoned by her when he was about six. So he goes to the funeral and it's kind of like, I don't know what to think because I don't really know her. And Holland Rollerden's really trying to get to know him. And his mom was a very well-known dancer um, uh, and he has left her house and they go to the house and it's, he's, they have this therapy thing that they do as a couple. And the idea is that they basically, you would sit at the end of the table if it was me and you, and I would say, my name is Becca and I have this problem. And I would imitate you with what I think your issue might be. And then you would take the seat and say, I am Becca and this is actually my problem. And that's what they do. So it's like a device. It's probably not quite real therapy, but there's all sorts of things. They're doing this and she sits in the seat and she basically becomes the mom. And mm-hmm. so the mom has basically made, he doesn't realize the mom has actually possessed his girlfriend for an entire night of this movie. He just thinks she's taking this therapy way too far because he's, because her mom's a therapist and he's just like, finds it really disturbing. And it, but it's creating some weird catharsis for him because he didn't know her and he's learning all this stuff, but it's also creepy. So it's, it's horror, but it's like also weird therapy, ghost horror. And, and it, there's a great tell of how you can tell whether it's a ghost or whether she's imitating the mom. And it's really clever. And it builds to a really interesting two-person character moment. I, I think this movie, I think I just read a couple of days after I saw it that it finally got, it got bought um, and was going to get put out. So I, I think ever, they're both really good in it because it takes a lot of subtle kind of building. And she gets to obviously play two different kind of versions. But Kyle's really good. And it's just a creepy idea, the idea that you'd be your, your fiancé would suddenly – be your mother that you never knew and who abandoned you you have a lot of bad feelings towards suddenly you're having a conversation with them and it's 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 an eerie idea so i i I thought this was really cool this is called mother may i um but overall great time brooklyn horror film festival highly recommend for those next year you know for the for the you know the guy i met in brooklyn who's a horror fan of our show and didn't know what was happening i was like oh man we got to let people know if you're in brooklyn next year this is the thing to hit um but it was you Describing all that to me just reminded I had to save this tweet because I thought it was so funny. So I literally screenshot it um, because I thought it was so great. And this is from Kyle K on Twitter. Horror movies used to be about a freaky alien that was gross or there was this fucked up kind of guy. Now they're all about the five stages of grease chasing you through your $500,000 apartment. Yeah, um, <laughs> that, that could be true, but they, they're they still good. Yes, <laughs> and then, yes, what I like are. is this year you get both. You can have Terrified too, and you can have Mother May I. And they're very different. Yeah. They they tickle very different parts. But um, but yeah, no, I thought this was well, well really well made. So look out for that one. And I had a great time at that fest. Excellent. Um, so next I'm going to talk about old man, hmm. um, old man. This is lucky McKee's mm-hmm. new film with Stephen Lang and Mark center. And that's about it. I think there's one more actress in there somewhere. Um, but it is basically a two hander with the two of them set in a cabin. Um, this lost hiker played by Mark center, um, completely lost in the woods. Doesn't know what to do. Stat, uh, kind of stumbles upon this really old cabin and um is is kind of like i have to go inside um and finds this really old man who seems to be from another time period who's been in there living by himself for decades um and then it kind of goes from there as mark center's trying to figure out how to get help you know can i at least have food type stuff and then where it goes from there and i don't want to say anymore because this movie is like twist upon twist and it's really cool um this is very much a small film like we think lucky mckee and i think may and may actually feels quite bigger to this um but at the same time the acting is so good in this like stephen lang is just 
fucking awesome in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, it is slow burn plan for a slow burn. It is not, you know, punches and, and crazy stuff happening every couple of minutes, but I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the aesthetic of this. Like it's shot really well, even though much of it is inside a cabin with just these two people, it was a really cool build. And I liked this one. I like lucky. So, um, and, and it's wherever due to talk to him again, he's good people. Yeah, he is. So I might need to bring him in um, to discuss this one. Um, so then I'm going to quickly discuss these these next two um, because they're ones that you've already discussed. I finally caught up with Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. You were right. I really did enjoy the murder mystery element of it. I enjoyed um, the twists. I like leading all the way up to the end. I thought that the ending twist was just one of my favorite twists that I've seen in the last couple of years. It really was like among us with like, um, you know, young people and uh, like a different version. What I found to be taxing about the movie, what admittedly pulled me out was I don't think the writer liked the characters. And this is a weird thing to say, but I've seen this in movies before where it feels like the writer is simultaneously writing the characters, but constantly making fun of them at the same time. Well, it's definitely, it feels um, like a satire the whole way. It is. Yeah. It's very much a satire. And with that, like, even when you're doing satire, I always think like, you know, if you look at like a satire, like classic satire, like Confederacy of Dunces, you still have to like mm. the main character a little bit. Like you can still tell that the writer has some type of love for Ignatius. Um, with this one, I don't think they liked these characters at all. Um, and because of that, it never lets the audience like these characters, like never once was I liking any of these them characters. not a single one of them any no, of them no. I was just waiting for him to die um the entire time and that was kind of one of the shortcomings for me and it still was a, don't get me wrong a very fun a very watchable movie that I would recommend checking out it actually felt like this one was a a, a laugh a minute compared to most a 24 films um you know it was doing a lot of things um that I really liked but that was my biggest thing is walking away from it I went what made that fun was watching them die, not in the ways they were dying and the mystery of who was doing it, not the attachment that I had to any single one of the characters. There was none. They were just, honestly, I can't even remember their names. I can't remember their motives. I can just remember scenes and set pieces built around the murder. Their reactions um, are, so. are I, the reactions to the murders are the part that feel the funniest to me. And like mm-hmm. the weird, you know, just, just you, you, there was one girl's like, but you guys don't even listen to my podcast. I, I did find yeah. that whiny line. Really I funny. lost yeah, my shit that on that. Great. Um, um, and so, she's yeah. really good in it, that Rachel Senate. But again, even oh, though she's yeah. really is that good. The one from, um, oh, Shiva baby. Yeah, she is. And, and yeah. even though she's really good, it's not like you like her, but you can at least laugh. No, at her. she's still a, yeah. a character that I did not like. She just at you know she was just the most amusing yeah. of the bunch. Pete Davis, and really there were some too, of them. So. Yeah, Pete Davis, Pete amusing, Davis. but I didn't like him. No. Um, and that's basically all of them. Like I, which did I do not think is the point. Like it, it, that's always the hard part. I think that's the point of the movie, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're not wrong. Wrong, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means yeah, the point of the movie is, but it also makes it hard to watch because you don't like them. That's why. I said i meant like after it ended about 20 minutes later it's like i'd forgotten almost all of it because yeah. it was like chewing really good flavor gum and then afterwards it's all right 
It you know it didn't yeah. stay with me because you have to love kind of what I was saying about Terrifier too. It's like you kind of have to love a character, and if you love a character, oh, now I can remember this movie. You know, it will stay with you in that way. Um, yeah, I, all I can remember from that, I will say, like now I, I watched it a week and a half ago. I can remember bits. Yeah, I can remember tiny little moments of oh, it was fun when he did this. Um, but I it it's no substance behind it whatsoever. Yeah. So, um, but that said, it was, it was really good gum while I was yeah, chewing yeah. it. So I recommend try the gum, try the gum. Yeah. Um, if it'll amuse you for an hour and a half. Um, and then I will also say this one's an older one, but I was just kind of going through shutter, trying to catch up with things that I hadn't seen yet. And this one was blissfully short. I remember the night that I was doing this, I'd gotten home. I it was my class that I teach till 10 30 at fucking night on Thursday nights. Um, and I'd gotten home and it was like 11 and I was like, I just am going to put on something to fall asleep to. And Luxaturna is like 72 minutes. And I was like, oh, was thing, well, I thought it was like 50 or something. Yeah, I thought it was- yeah, it may even be less than yeah. that. It was very much like this is like an episode of television. Thank you, Gasper. No way. Um, <laughs> is it so really I, like an episode of television? What kind of television do you bit. watch? <laughs> so I had put this on and granted, I shouldn't say this. I had put this on as like a short watch before bed, yeah. which I don't think you should ever say with Gasper. No way. Like it's no. Basically like putting on an episode of the X-Files or, you know, Rick and Morty is what I usually fall asleep to. Um, So, yeah, you know, it's just like that. No, it's still a Gaspar Noé film. So I knew what I was going into, but I was looking for that like brevity. Um, This was not this was not that this is not a a quick a quick jaunt into some Gaspar Noé lightness. Um, So the movie starts. It is um, an actress and an actress turned director played by um, Beatrice Dahl, who is like sex symbol in France. And Charlotte Gainsbourg, who is um, the daughter of Serge um, and all of their sexy songs from the 19th and Jane Birkin. Yeah, yeah, all of their their sexy songs from the 60s. Um, And they I I still have a bunch of his original old records. I'm a big fan. I I was like one of my finds of the year. I found them at a Goodwill in um i think it was nebraska it was while we were driving back cross country and somebody had donated like three original surge game porg mm. albums and they were like 75 cents a piece and i was like are you fucking serious they're amazing um anyways it is an actress and um a young actress and then a director an older director who you find out had been an actress like she had a career as an actress and this is one of the first things that she's directed on set talking and they are talking, telling like war stories from set, um, from all of the different sets they've done, sexism on set, how they treat actors, how actors are treated in general, the worst sex they've ever been on, things like that. Um, while they are waiting for a DP to set up the next shot of this film that she is directing. And you figure out, like, you get immediately that she's, like, pissed off at the producers on this film, that she's not having fun. She's been waiting forever for the DP to set up the shot. Nobody is listening to her. None of the crew is listening to her. And so that's kind of the first part of it. And then finally, they're like, okay, we're ready to go. And so then everybody, you know, rushes to go get the actresses ready. So then it's basically built into thirds. Like the first third is them sitting there talking. The second third is them in the dressing rooms trying to get the costumes done. There's all this shot because one of the actresses has to appear topless and she hadn't been told that ahead of time. So 
Um, there's drama there. Uh, the director's fighting with the DP. The DP is angry at one of the other um, camera assistants. And so there's all this drama. And there's a guy and pitching then, movies all the time, too, which I yeah, love. And then That's good. one of the, uh, I can't even remember what he is, but yeah, he's like one of the smaller yeah. producers. And he's constantly trying to pitch this film he wants to make to all of the other actresses, which is just brilliant and feels like a real yeah. film set. Um, and so all of this like chaos is happening and you're just seeing very much in, in kind of the same way that you do. Um, oh gosh, what's his dance movie? Um, yeah, where climax. it is kind of this climax. Thank this you. This is where like living is in this... oblivion, but Gaspar Noe style. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the roving camera yeah. of climax where it's going in between all of these different people, but it's living in oblivion yeah. and it's just going back and forth around this very um, ill functioning indie film set. Well, finally the DP is ready. He hates the shot. Um, the director hates the shot, but we have to shoot something. So they start shooting and it's a scene of these three women being burned as witches, but it's real postmodern and they're dressed in this punk rock clothing. And then the lights start malfunctioning. And then it's like these flashes of red, green, and blue, but they keep the film going. And then it goes on for like 20 minutes of seeing these flashing lights um, scene. And and the whole thing is intercut with all of these really pretentious quotes about directors being auteurs. Yeah. And um and that's the Gaspar Noe movie. So awesome. Um I don't know how I, much I love it. I this. can't <laughs> imagine watching this one at home. I I almost wish they didn't release this to for people to watch outside of a theater because in the theater, like this is what I saw at Monty's the uh Phoenix uh horror film festival, horror and sci-fi festival, and it was the best experience because the flashing lights isn't just like a light flashing when you're at home. It's just like, why is the light flashing when you're in a theater? There's nothing else happening. It is just light and it is an assault. And it was really something, but it it was the man, the reaction afterwards was like, most people were like, that's not a movie. What, what just happened? Or their stunned silence. And I was sitting there going, hell yeah, Monty, this is badass. Uh, It's no, I was super interesting. I was definitely stunned silence i definitely went to bed trying to figure out exactly what he'd done and was this truly about directors being an auteur and they should have listened to her or or what was he trying to say with this film i still don't have a fucking clue i think he's mocking Um, the whole thing in his way yeah that's what i thought is it felt more like a satire like inclusion i i kept thinking like he can't be including all those pretentious fucking quotes about the director needs to be the only brain of the film the mind behind it all he couldn't be including all those genuinely because they were so antiquated film beliefs yeah. um i think like that's probably now, what it is right it's it very much yeah. like we view film now as a collaborative art um and the quotes that he was including were very much like this old school re- regime and, and the whole movie seemed to be about the lack of collaboration and this understanding that when the director tries to be the auteur that this is where it goes yeah. um and so yeah it, it was kind of this interesting movie that kept me up thinking but it also gave me a headache i will say yeah. Um, which I assume was part of the effect. Yeah, like it does work. Um, because I kept, I kept staring at the lights, going, "Something's going to happen. Something has to happen." And like ten minutes in, I was like, "My head hurts, and I need popcorn." And so then I walked to the kitchen. I came back. They're still flashing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very much that it's aiming for some type of a physical response. Just for me, it was like a a mild headache, and then yeah. thinking about what he was actually trying to say about how film sets work. Um, this one's short. 
it's definitely an art piece. It is very, if you like Gaspar Noé, this is like total Gaspar Noé. It's like Gaspar Noé does an episode of television. It's yeah, It's like his in-between. Um, if it doesn't feel like, it's super interesting, but it feels like an in-between projects. Like, yeah. like it doesn't feel like his full meal movies uh, for sure, because it is and, so short. Yeah, it's one location. I mean, the whole thing's just the film set. It feels small for him um, and controlled, but at the same time, it is still very Gaspar Noé. Um, so the last thing I will quickly mention, my last thing um, here is uh, there is a new uh, season of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, and that has also been my jam um, for the last week is kind of going through those. And this is the weird thing. They didn't release them all. They are tier releasing them. Mm. They did, I think it's like nine episodes. They did three episodes, another three released today. Um, We're taping this on Tuesday. So they released three more today that I'm itching to go watch. And then they're doing another three, I think like November 3rd. Mm. Um, So I'm intrigued that Netflix is now doing this kind of tiered release system. Um, yeah, that's that's a change from the normal bingeability of things. Um, so I'm kind of I'm intrigued by your motives, Netflix. Yeah, like changing it up. Uh, my last thing is uh, just on the plane ride home. I got the autumnal uh, written by Daniel Krauss, and I read it in one sitting. It was just like the perfect like because it was like a four hour flight. It took me about maybe two and a half hours. Just loved it perfect for the season so i want people to if they're looking for a good creepy this is one becca's mentioned in the past that i had to write down great art too um but this is a, it only took you like 10 months to it, it, it takes me a long time i have to be traveling to read, <laughs> read things like graphic novels but uh it, yeah a young a young mother who's had a lot of problems in her life takes her daughter back to this town it kind of similar to what i was saying about that mother may i film uh where her mother who kind of uh abandoned her when she was young has left her house actually it's exactly the same story uh but in this one once she gets there the town's super weird they seem to act very strange about fallen leaves and the trees and nature and it's this perfect town that uh, celebrates autumn in ways that uh, we don't and then it, it then it starts building to some very weird stuff that was very cinematic you know it was really cool it felt like i was watching an entire 10 episode you know horror series in one yeah. awesome graphic novel so that is the autumnal high high recommendation excellent well, I'm glad you got some reading time. That I'm I'm headed back to Canada in a couple of weeks to um, do color correction, and that is the one thing that I'm always so excited about is when I get to travel. I get to read on the plane. I get to read on the way back, and I've discovered that when, um, especially when I'm in Canada and none of my devices are actively working, like I, I did get end up getting a VPN last time, but um, for my last trip back up to Canada. When I was there a couple of weeks ago, I had deactivated the BPN. So I don't even watch TV. I just read. And that is something so wonderful that I don't get to do at home is start reading at like 8 p.m. at night and just read until I'm tired. Yeah. Um, because on most nights, I'll start reading at 1130 and I get two pages. I read the same paragraph five times and then I hit myself in the face with the book and thus concludes my reading adventure for the evening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting, being able to read is it's my thrill of work trips. Yeah, yeah no, it's great. I agree. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's it. So uh, we have some pretty great guests coming up and some, and a fun topic for our uh, Halloween episode coming up. Today's episode is sponsored by The Retaliator, starring Mark Menchaca, Michael Lombardi, with high-octane original soundtrack and cameos from some of the biggest names in rock music, including Five Finger Death Punch, Tommy Lee, and Papa Roach. Don't miss the epic horror thriller film critics are calling pure cinematic masterpiece. The Retaliators is available now to rent or own digitally. 
The original master of horror finally brings fans into his inner thoughts and workings in the book Decades in the Making, Clive Barker's Dark Worlds. Throwing open the doors to his production sketches, paintings, photos, and manuscripts, Dark Worlds shows his earliest sketches of Pinhead from the original Hellraiser and the creative process behind Candyman to the magical world of Aberat. All of it is here alongside comments over the years from Stephen King, Neil Gaiman, Quentin Tarantino, Wes Craven, and more. Go to abramsbooks.com slash Barker. That's A-B-R. R-A-M-S books.com backslash Barker and enter promo code Clive 25 to receive 25% off. So I am super excited for our guests tonight because not only do we get to discuss awesome projects that they have been working on, but also we have a really cool, um, fun kind of curation game that we're going to play later on involving Halloween slumber parties. I am excited to welcome to the show Bria Grant. She's been on um, many different incarnations of our shows before. (laughs) So she's basically like another co-host at this point. And also Clay McLeod Chapman, who I go way back with to like Virginia and New York days, but he has an amazing new book out as well. So, um, plus Elric's back from New York City. So, welcome back, everybody. So, um, I'm going to start with Bria just because your movie has been out for a couple of months and I haven't gotten to talk to you about it. I've been real antsy to dig in on it because it was so awesome. Oh, um, so, Torn Hearts, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, Torn Hearts, you two at home can be antsy to talk about it uh, if you um, it is on epics if you have epics you can stream it but it's also if you have Amazon Prime it's now for free on Amazon Prime which was has been really good for us like I think uh, like it, it definitely it was in the top 10 of all things like it was mm. like us rings of power like uh, like last week and that was very exciting when we dropped on Amazon Prime so um, that was cool Um, anyway it is a uh, it's a movie I did with um a company called Blumhouse. I think your listeners might know of them. Familiar. Heard of them. Um, And it is about two up and coming country singers who want to do a song with this woman that they idolize and they go to her house and uh, horror and thrillery things uh, ensues. And and Katie Seagal is uh, uh, one of the leads. So good. She's great. Fun. She's, she's very, she's uh, yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what a national treasure that we have in Katie Skull. Um, you know, she's been on so much. It's funny on set. We like I could tell how old people were by what they knew her from, because like I'm like, oh, married with children. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there was like all these people younger than me. They were like, no, smart house. And I'm like, what the hell is smart house? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like 10 years younger than me, like oh. people in their like mid 20s, like early 30s. That's what they knew her from. And then, of course, obviously, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, yeah Sons of Anarchy, for sure. Yeah. Um, So you were shooting this like simultaneous to when I was shooting Glorious, right? But you guys were in not I was in Jackson. I remember thinking, oh, she's like an hour away. Where were you guys that's at? That's right. We were in New Orleans. We were mm-hmm. in New Orleans in the in the peak of summer, which is when you want to be shooting in New Orleans. You want to go when it's raining every day and it's incredibly humid. So we were there. Um, 
like August, August ish of July, August mm-hmm. um, of last year. Yeah. So we shot then. So yeah, around the same time you shot Chloris. Is that right? Yeah, we were we were June, July. So it felt yeah. I remember thinking that like we were crossing paths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, yeah. As we were going. And no, we too were um we would have to hold shooting during these torrential downpours because you could hear them. Like they were echoing oh off the roofs of the sound stages. So we would have to stop so that it would quit these like torrential downpours and then we yeah. could keep going. And if um, there's lightning within a certain um within a seven mile radius, then you have to shut down oh, any yeah. of your generators. So it was like that ended up screwing us quite a bit, but that um, yeah. house is amazing. Like Thanks. the production design and everything Thanks. that went into it. It's very Nashville, but very impressive. Yes. It's supposed to take place in Nashville, even though we shot in new Orleans, it's not just one house. I'm sure you knew that it's mm-hmm. multiple houses that I have that I strung together to make a house. Um, and then we built the basement. That's all a build. Um, but yeah, thank you. And then when we walked in that house, it was empty with white walls. Like, but I was like, okay, good bones, big staircase. Like there's like what we can do, but we painted the whole thing. And like, I mean, bless my production designer. It was like, I would get there and be like more stuff, put more stuff. Like I'd arrive early and be like, put more shit on the walls, put more stuff. Like, uh, so there's a, it's a, it's a maximalist look in that house, but, um, I feel like it fit with the, with the themes so much fringe and sparkle. It's so cool. So much fringe and sparkle. You can never listen. If you're going to do a country music movie, like, and there's not that many of them. I mean, and I'm going to do a horror one. Like I'm going to go for it. Like I'm going to like come in and be like, yeah, give me the fringe. Give me the sparkle. Like I'm going to do the whole thing. Like I'm, I want it. It should be fun. And like, I, you know, a lot of times, you know, y'all shoot horror movies it's like people are wearing their pajamas or something, or they're wearing, you know, it's like some woman who lives in the suburb who's wearing like a button up shirt. It's not that fun, but we got to really like craft costumes. And, um, a lot of those costumes were built just for the, just for the, um, the movie at the end, Katie's wearing this like nudie suit, which is a big in country music where it's like a suit, but then there's like patches and like rhinestones and stuff on it that all represent something. And like, that was like really fun to get to help envision and like yeah we had, we had a really good time with all of them was that a all, all the fringe world you knew well the country music scene like prior to this or did you have to dive in for the yeah. film oh cool well i grew up in texas and so when you grow up in texas they hand you you know a dolly parton record yeah. when you're born and they're like good luck um and uh but so i did have like familiarity with the genre and then my dad was really into like old countries so um like Hank I, I Williams mean, like, I or like stuff like that. Hank okay. Williams. Yeah. Like I love like Towns Van Zandt. Uh-huh. Like, and I still listen to a lot of that kind of stuff. And then, um, uh, in my teen years before I was a punk rock kid, there was a brief minute where I liked pop country music. Cause it was like kind of popular around the time I was like, not quite a teen, maybe like 11, 12. I got really into like Garth Brooks, Trisha Yearwood, like that stuff. So I, I knew about that as well. And then current country kind of sounds like pop music. So that it does, that, right? Isn't that strange? Every single because my dad would never be caught dead listening to anything that isn't country. And now when I go home and I hear him listening to Q102, Virginia Country, immediately I'm like, this just sounds like everything else now. Like it's real electronic and yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is which is interesting. And that was the one thing, like, so we had to write all these songs for the movie and um in the I mean, Becca, you know what this is like. What this is like. I, I had three weeks to prep. So like we had to write, <laughs> we had to have the songs like 
written and recorded all within that three weeks while I was trying to prep a movie. Um, but it was like, it helped that I had that background, like knowing those different kinds of things and knowing what those bands sound like and um, could send like samples of what I thought, like the, the band that Katie was in sounded like, and the band that the, the current, uh, the, the younger women are in sound like, so like ha- having references was really definitely cool. heard some channeling yeah. of some Tammy Wynette in there. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes, for sure very much yeah who did who did the music who did the songs like was it this is wild so i read the script so i didn't write the script it's written by uh, a lovely woman named rachel colorcroft and um she uh uh uh, wrote lyrics in the back of the script and i was like we're never gonna use these lyrics and i've told the story many times i'm sure she's heard me tell it by now because i was just like this is just like lyrics without music like we're never gonna be able to make this work but then we use those lyrics so she wrote the lyrics to the songs and like, you know, we had to, we, some of the songs, like I didn't have time to record the whole thing. Like literally what you see on the screen. Like I have one minute of that first song I have, like, it's like very, very, like we recorded exactly what I thought I might use. Um, but then I got together. There's these people who kind of can put together these, um, uh, arrangements. And there's this guy named Alan at who lived in Nashville and, uh, Blumhouse introduced me and he was like, I know how to do this. I can do it send me a bunch of samples and I'll send you ideas. And then we went back and forth. And then I went, we went to a studio and recorded it. It was crazy. Oh my God. It was you very know, fast. You, you totally need to do like a one night, one night only concert performance of all the songs from the, the, the yeah, but Clay, this like is a- what I'm saying. Is it like, they're actually, so most of the songs I don't have full versions of because right. it was like, we didn't have the, t- I mean, we, we have full versions of them. And we don't have them recorded, I guess. So maybe we could do it, but it would be, it, we don't, we couldn't play them, you know, like we couldn't just like put them on a radio and play them. Cause we uh, don't have full versions. Cause I, I didn't have time to spend, we had one day in a studio. So I, ha- I was like, okay, I'm not going to use more than a minute of this opening song. Like there's no way I'm going to play like a three minute song to open up this movie. And so I only recorded like a minute of it. Did you say Alan Ett as in like E-T-T? Yeah, do you know him? Yeah, I know him from Hallmark movies. Um, so it, uh, is that the same Alan sure. Ett? Okay, sure. so I know I'm, I've consulted on a couple of like Hallmark Amazing. and Lifetime scripts that he is like, he produced the garage sale mystery. That's right. Was, I like, knew. Yes, that's right. And you did him. Not. Okay, I forgot yeah. about that. I forgot about that. Like, that, you know, it was such a whirlwind getting, but I remember him telling me that he did stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I know him from that world, but I knew he did composition as well. That is yeah. wild that he yeah. did your movie because I know him from a completely different world. That's really yeah. cool, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, that's weird. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Nashville, Nashville guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, when I, he has a, a big, um, office in studio city as well. At least he did pre pandemic. I haven't been there since then, okay. but yeah, when he was doing the garage sale mystery stuff, they were, they were based out of studio city. Wow. Um, but yeah, multi-talented folks. Yes. Um, so that is awesome. And let me just say you played Nashville. Well, I know okay. that it wasn't actually shot in Nashville, but I'll have, you know, Elric and I spent a night there with your co-host Mallory. Oh, that's O'Mara. right. Yeah. Um, we spent a night in Nashville when our flight got delayed and we had to drive it's way less Knoxville. of exciting story that I was hoping was going to be. We spent a n- wild night <laughs> in crazy. Nashville. Yeah. No, it wasn't. And we were even like, let's go walk the strip. And like, I think we walked into the kid rock bar and we were like, this is, this is not our scene. And then we just kind of turned around and walked out. And that was our extent of Nashville. Um, yeah. That was about it. We had some barbecue and then yeah. we caught a plane the next morning, but yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've been there like, but it's 
been a really long time and I didn't get to go during this, but my producer went up there and shot me some B-roll. So that was, that was, that was helpful. I, when I was in college, cause I went to Virginia tech, which is not too far away. That was like the hip thing to do for like big weekends or bachelorette parties as you would drive down to Nashville. Okay. Um, yeah, I, guess, I never, that's what, that's what people told me. There's a bachelorette party in the background of one of the <laughs> big bar scenes because people are like, there's a lot of bachelorette parties. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to include that as like a detail. <laughs> awesome. So Clay, we go like way back, like Virginia back. And I can't even remember formally when we met, but I know I was still in grad school in Virginia. I mean, you just got to, you, you had me at Virginia, like just <laughs> saying like, I'm from Virginia. Like I, like that's the root, right? Like right? You know, I, there's, there's something about that state where if you're raised there, born there, lived there, went to college there, like you, you find, you find your fellow Virginians and you like, do. for, for which, whatever reason, like which town later, are you originally from? Are you from Richmond? Oh, I was born in Roanoke. Uh, born in the Blue Ridge and uh, raised in Richmond. So okay. Richmond, Richmond was technically home, um, but I, I got a little bit of Blue Ridge in me. Yeah. Um, you, you? Uh, originally Winchester, um, Virginia, oh which God. is uh, where Shenandoah Valley. So in between yeah. the Blue Ridge is like right as it starts to really become the Appalachian Mountains, like we butt up against West Virginia. And then I did college undergrad at Virginia Tech. And then I lived in Centerville. Got to get my Nova rep on for a little bit. Oh um, before I went back to grad school in Richmond, I lived in Carytown for a long time. <laughs> See, it's so amazing. Purists, Virginian purists will say Nova, Northern Virginia is not technically a part of Virginia. That's like DC. It's it's a completely different state. Yeah, it's a different vibe. Like the rest of Virginia feels very vastly different. Um, And right after I finished grad school, I almost moved to Calvert County, Maryland, um, like right on the other side where uh, the bay is. I had my moments there because I had gotten a job um, teaching English at a college there. And it was kind of like, well, I could go teach English there or I could go to New York. And I sold everything I owned and moved to New York. So and I have not formally lived in Virginia since then. But yeah, it's it's home. But it's still in you. That's what I'm saying. Like Virginia, you are you will always be a Virginia. You can be in California. It's fine. I get it. But like you you have the root. The root is in you. It's totally true. And, and I, I, we still go through like anytime I'm visiting Virginia, we still do like the Virginia tour where we start and it's I-81, um, which Joe Bob Briggs refers to as the, um, redneck super highway. Um, but yeah, you start at the base and just go all the way up and then you swing over and do, uh, Richmond for a couple of days. And yeah, they just got a new biscuit joint and short pump. I was really excited (laughs) when I was there in the fall. Um, This is is why you should not have two Virginians on a podcast with one another because they'll just start talking about like highways, like, Oh, you take it no. 84 down to 95. You get there in no time. We had a director on recently. I think it was the director of Barbarian. And he is that Craig. And, and literally, I'm just sitting here for an hour listening to the two of them talk about punk shows they went to together. <laughs> he's from Arlington, or technically, I think he said Crystal City. But Somewhere yeah, like he's that, from yeah. like Arlington, Fairfax area. So yeah, we totally geeked Nova, out about Nova. Yeah, it's, it's all it's Nova. Not, it's not Virginia. Yeah. Not once Virginia. you get into Nova, there's like little enclaves of like 15 different cities more than that. And yeah. Um, but Ghost Eaters. I was so excited to see this. I knew you'd been writing um, for for years now, but this is like huge and really taken off. Um, So tell us about Ghost Eaters set in Virginia. Yeah, I mean, God, it's uh, I mean, it's all about a haunted drug 
like imagine you could pop a pill and see the dead, see ghosts, like any anyone who is haunting your room right now, like you just pop that, you know, take a little dose of ghost and all of a sudden you can see all the spooky things around you. Um, but apparently, you know, once you start, you know, <laughs> you know, once once you kind of open Pandora's box, it's really hard to, to close it. And the dead apparently don't, you know, either they don't like to be seen or they really, really want to be seen. And now that you can see them, they feel very like attached to you. And yeah, you know, spooky things ensue. They lick you. That was one of the points that I was like, <laughs> is the, go the ghost is licking her. Uh, but you play it so much like like a junkiness to it. That was it was really oh, um, like it's not yeah. a sexy drug. No, well, no, no, <laughs> you know, like I'm so straight laced. I'm such a straight edger that it's not even funny, but like, you know, like I, I, re I remember the first time I heard the word debridement, hmm. debridement, and that word scared the living bejesus out of me. And I, you know, was thinking of like how, like if you're taking a supernatural drug that is basically like oozing out of you uh and ghosts really want to take it too but the way that they take it is by getting it out of you uh the way you do that is they they lick you like like nothing nothing like weirds me out more than just the idea of like like licking like lick, like oozing and licking like having like something kind of oozing and then someone else licking like if you were gonna me, rank those what is the what is the <laughs> ranking of gross grossness is it oozing top or licking top is is i mean i would say the top has got to be licking like okay oozing, losing <laughs> ooze, losing is the combination of the two oozing is is basically like oh my bad sorry i'm oozing <laughs> But licking, <laughs> licking is like a choice. Like that's something that like uh -huh. someone does. And that, that to me, like takes it like just a hair too far. Did that come from the uh, licking the toad idea from LSD trips? <laughs> it seems like it. I mean, it could, yeah. like, I, I mean, I, I mean, really like it, like, I'm not going to harp on the word debridement all night, <laughs> I swear. But like the idea of like, like, like the way that you scrape yourself clean of some kind of you know, infectious agent, mm. like, like, the, you know, there's this one scene at the very kind of tail end of the book where our protagonist is basically detoxing in the grossest, worst way imaginable. And it's, you know, she's, she, I'm not going to give it away, no spoilers, but not she's a like, sexy drug. Not, not a, <laughs> not a like, you know, it's not like, what are, what are the kind of like, uh, detox centers where it's like I, I didn't I spend a week at you know Pacific you know Cove and uh you know now I'm clean it's like you're you're getting licked <laughs> by ghosts yeah that's 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 the that's the tagline get licked by ghosts like that's <laughs> what more do you need in a book so with the ghost licking and all, what was the seed of this book? Like, I'm always intrigued because books um, take a really fucking long time to write. Yeah. Um, and so if you're going to dedicate like a year plus of your life, and I know Bria's got um, one that she wrote as well. If you're going to dedicate year or sub to your book, it has to be an idea that you're you're so in love with that if you don't get it out of your head, like your head's going to explode. Um, totally. So what was this? kernel of an idea and then how did it grow i mean it was it, it was basically two kernels and and the you know the kind of main one was uh 
in like 2017, like post It Follows, you know, everyone in Hollywood was like, oh, we got to get on this, you know, It Follows train. Like, let's get, let's get more of that. And I, I got tapped to develop a feature that was kind of like, you know, group of teens take a drug, the drug is some kind of synthesized thing and they're at a whatever, like a concert or what whatnot. And like, they all see, like they have the same hallucination of some kind of demonic presence. But now that demonic presence is chasing after them and kind of dispatches them one by one. Um, and, you know, like it never, like the whole thing, the project fizzled, never went anywhere. But like at some point, some executive said the two words haunted drug. And for whatever reason, I, I like, I walked away from that whole experience with just those two words kind of stuck in my craw. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't let them go. Like I wanted to know what a haunted drug would be. Um, and I obsessed over it for years and I just didn't know what that story was. And, you know, not to totally bring it down, but like, you know, I knew I needed to find a personal way into the story, a way that kind of mattered to me. And um, I had a friend like 10, 15 years ago who, who passed away over because of a drug overdose. And, you know, it was one of those moments in my life, in my like early to mid twenties, you know, everybody's kind of like so full of themselves and thinks they're invincible. And like this thing happened and it was, it was probably like one of the worst, like the worst moments of my life because I, I did the thing where I wasn't there for my friend. Like I drew the line, did tough love. I was like, you know, after having given a couch to crash on or like money, like I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to step away and you have to clean yourself up. And he passed away. And, you know, that was, I mean, that was over a decade ago, if not two decades ago now. And when I, you know, it's ghoulish kind of stringing it together like this, but the more I thought about the haunted drug, the more I realized like the way into this story was to tell something that was slightly personal, which is this idea of like losing a friend and the the kind of subsequent kind of uh, like the, the kind of dissol- like the dissolving of a circle of friends, like a group of friends who like rallied to support this person uh, and like were kind of like struggling to figure out how best to kind of save them. And, uh, you know, it, you know, I, I, I kind of like think of like, what would my friend think of him being kind of the fodder for a book like this? And he would probably get a kick out of it. Um, he would probably say, I got it all wrong, but you know, like, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just like, it's no longer him. It's no longer me, but like the kind of Genesis, the, the kind of like origin of it is this, you know, I was a stupid friggin' asshole, you know, to my friend. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there are a few kind of like choice regrets in my life. And this, this is one of them. And I had to write about it. That's, that's an amazing um, way to get to this story to, that it is something so personal and that you are able to kind of excise those demons through this. Yeah. And there's licking and there's licking. Like, <laughs> you can't, like, like, you know, I, I mean, like, it's, it, it's such a weird book because like, it is about grief and it's about you know, addiction, but like, I, it, like, I wanted to write about these things in the scariest friggin' way possible. Like I wanted to, I wanted to make 
like because I was reading like Hubert Selby Jr. and William S. Burroughs and Brett Easton Ellis and like you know Jay McInerney like Bright Lights Big Cities like I wanted to write like one of those drug books that like makes drugs not sexy I wanted like a scary drug book like a book that would be like I'm not going to take drugs anymore this book like scares you scares you clean I guess but simultaneous to this book coming out, you have a movie in theaters like right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wendell and Wild. Um, you know, I I helped kind of uh, put together this film. That's you know, honestly, like it's Henry Selleck, it's Jordan Peele. Like that's that they they are the the, the main players of this thing, and uh, you know, it's voiced by Key and Peele. It's stop motion animation. It will be on Netflix. Uh, October 28th. Wow. Oh my God. And it's like pure horror as well. It's it, what is it about? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing because it's, I mean, Key and Peele play Wendell and Wilde who are these, this, these demon brothers who have lofty ambitions of kind of starting their own theme park here and on in the land of the living, but they have to bust out from their underworld kind of underpinnings. And, uh, they latch on to a young girl by the name of Kat, who, you know, is kind of stuck in this, this kind of system of, you know, uh, you know, all, like, like basically has been kind of a, a part of the, you know, the, the kind of not prison system, but the, the kind of like, she's an orphan who can't break out of the, the cycle that she's in. And uh, lo and behold, her inner demons just so happen to be voiced by Key and Peele. So, uh, and who wouldn't want that, you know? I know it's doing um, a limited theatrical here in Los Angeles this week. I know it's playing at the Lemley in NoHo because I drove past today. And after I'd been, you know, looking everything up, I was like, hey, it's there. Um, (laughs) So I that's awesome. And coming to Netflix soon. Um, But before we shift to our slumber party topic, I have a question that I want to ask both you and Bria about writing process. When you guys are writing books, how do you start? Do you just like start writing? And, and, you know, paint yourself into a corner and see wherever the day takes you. Are you meticulous um, outliners? Are, are you like super organized? Do you know the end from page one? I'm intrigued on both of your processes. Well, you've written, I've only written short stories and then um, graphic, graphic novels. novels. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, are long. <laughs> the one I just did was, yeah. I mean, it took me a while. It's, I mean hundreds it was hundreds of pages by the time I turned it in but um uh so Clay can probably answer that better but um no yeah, graphic I'm not novels, a big they still take a lot of organization I'm in the middle of one right now and yeah. it's still like 300 pages of like so trying to pages. coordinate myself I know, <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. and then you're like I don't know what this panel is anymore um mm-hmm. uh uh yeah I mean I for the last one I did um I I'm not an outliner as a person. I'm kind of like a like get it, get it done and see how it feels and then throw it all away and kind of start over. That's how I write screenplays. Like I kind of write the whole thing and then I'm like, none of this works. And then I I'm very not precious with my own work and I'm constantly like picking it apart. And then I I usually find I outline best by trying to like just write the thing. But, um, you know, something like a graphic novel, a lot of times for this last for Mary, which I um, which came out last year or so um uh I was working with a company so I did have to like 
I had to send an outline. I had to send, you know, oh, this chapter is this. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the outline to get notes, which does help. Uh, it, and I know why they want you to do it. It's like, for some reason, it's so much harder for me to do that than to actually um, write the damn thing. But um, yeah, that for that one, I did spend a lot of time. I spent, because I we went back and forth so much on what it was. And then I spent... I mean, it took me about a year to write it. So it was like back and forth on on what it was. And then maybe like six months or so of us just going back and forth on on the outline. And then mm-hmm. and then I wrote it pretty quickly after that. Yeah. Was like, there an illustrator process? involved at that point, too? Or? No, we brought her on after Yishan Lee was my illustrator. And we brought her on um, towards the end when we knew we were getting close to being finished. And then, you know, it's a graphic novel. It takes forever. I mean, it took her like almost a year to draw it because it's so it's long, you know, like graphic novels. It's funny. You read them so quickly because you're like, because uh, they're so pretty and there's not that many words. and You can kind of fly through them. But wow, that like one one like gra- one comic book took someone like months to make. Yeah, it's uh, I'm in the middle of one right now and it is an arduous process. And even still, they're telling us like not going to come out for a couple of years because as soon as it goes to the artists, like they're in for 18 months. And I'm like, wow, this is it's slow in the publishing world. Um, But Clay, what's your process? I I mean, if I was smart, I I could definitely save a lot of time by outlining. If I was if I was a more efficient outliner, I, I feel like I would save myself a lot of headache and heartache but I, I kind of like what Bria is saying like you kind of want to get lost you want to get into the story and kind of like navigate your way like discovery is great because the 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 things you find along the way you probably never would have accounted for or planned for and and those organic discoveries I think are far better far more worth <laughs> the time spent and the 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 kind of the, all the kind of excess that gets kind of thrown away to the wayside. Um, but I do, I feel like if I at least know what the end point is, like I know that there's a point A to a point B. And if I can start going towards point B, I can like take a circuitous route to get there, but at least there's a destination on the horizon. Um, yeah, but it, it, it sometimes it, it takes a long time to get there. And then you've got the... I think revision is, is where that's where the story really comes together. And, Mm -hmm. you know, thank God for beta readers. Thank God for people kind of calling you on your BS where you can kind of say, you know, whoever your trusted, you know, circle is, you know, they, they kind of respond in such a way that, that says, you know, what if you did this, or I don't like this, or, and I don't know, like I, I've kind of learned to embrace my, ineptitude and my lack of talent in order to embrace a kind of sense of discovery that kind of goes, it's almost like you find something better than the thing you could have anticipated or planned for. And that's, that is in the village that, that kind of comes together to, to make these, these things, whether that's a editor, beta readers, friendly reads, um, you know, not good reads, but friendly reads. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's this like, for me, I feel like I'm just constantly trying to find someone who has ab- objectivity about anything I'm doing. And because I don't and you don't. And like when we're doing our own projects, we just don't. You can't have it. It doesn't. It's impossible because you've been thinking about it for so long that it exists already in your head in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I will say my trusted village of people who like I reach out to and I'm like, is this good? Is this a thing? Does this make sense? Like those are the 
those are so valuable. And they're people that I've been going, the same people I'm going, going to for years who read everything I do. Definitely. Um, so do you guys have characters like already mapped out before you begin? Or is that just part of the discovery process? Like how much do you know about your characters um, before you kind of jump in? I I try, you know, again, like if if I was smart, I would, you know, do the character bios, like know as much about these people. And, and none of that kind of makes its way into the end result. But I mean, like, usually a first draft is like, hi, I'm Joe Blow. And I'm, you know, I'm going to be your narrator for the next 500 pages. And let me tell you about my life. And, you know, the, the, the story doesn't start until like 50, 75, 100 pages later, but you needed to kind of get that out so that that you know who the character is. Um, they tell their life story to you and maybe you're the only one who needs to hear it, but then you just kind of take it, put it aside and you say, oh, this is where... This is where the story starts. Yeah, same. I mean, I have like a sense of them. Like I'll do like um, character trying. I mean, from being an actor for so many years, I have like these like character study things that I've used to do with every character I would do. And but the basic stuff is like, you know, what does your character want and what does your character need? And those are usually they should be different to make Mm -hmm. your story good. And if I can figure those two things out and then give them a job then usually I can, I have some sort of character because we live in a capitalist society and like people have jobs. But also I just found that as an actor, I would read all these scripts um, as an actress, I guess I should say. And um, I would be like, what is my job? Like, I would like find these, I would be playing these characters. I'm like, I do kind of understand what she wants, but like, who is she beyond like this moment in time where we meet her? And I, I know that sounds so simple, but I cannot tell you the number of scripts I read that in which I played somebody's girlfriend with, no means of income, no way. <laughs> Who, how is she surviving? No one knows. She is independently wealthy. seems like that's also a choice, but give me some sort of choice. That's every character in a lifetime film as well. Or they are um, art restorationists, yoga teachers, or wine. Somehow they have something oh, to wine. do with wine. That's, yes, yes. that's every lifetime character. Wow. <laughs> What's your industry. job? Wine. 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 really good with wine um but before we transition to our topic for the night clay you are you i'm gonna have you transition here um because one of the first times that i ever saw kind of your brilliant writing was when you were doing the pumpkin pie show in new york city and when i was living in new york Jack Bennett, who I think first had introduced us, another Virginian, um, had called and been like, you got to go see the pumpkin pie show. It's absolutely brilliant. And we call it, we covered it for Fangoria. Um, and so I remember that we went and we had done like a little blurb on the website for it. And it was just such a fun event. Can you tell us what the pumpkin pie show was? Is you're yeah. still doing it at conventions. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Like I couldn't, I was never, I was, I could never play a musical instrument. Like I was never good enough to be in a band, but I wanted to be in a band. Like I wanted to be in that punk rock band. And I just wanted, I just wanted to be, you know, in front of a live audience kind of hooting and hollering and sweating and like doing, doing the aggressive, like stage divey moshy things that you would do at a punk rock show. But I just couldn't, I just couldn't carry a tune and nobody, nobody wants to be in a band with me. So I, uh, I, I was like, well, I'm a theater kid. So I'm going to, I'm going to start doing this, this like show where it's like taking the energy of a punk rock show 
and kind of transposing it into a character monologue. Like we do, basically the Pumpkin Pie Show is just a set list of character monologues. They're short stories. They're all first person narratives. And they're just me and my friends who I could convince to kind of do aggro, sweaty, downtown theater-y, monologue-y things uh, to audiences of Fangoria kids. Like, you know, like it was, it was like, <laughs> It was like horror theater, you know, like like Arto meets, you know, I don't know, Reanimator meets like, you know, like it was it was basically just like sweaty, goofy, like 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 that weird kind of like, you know, when you're in a at a basement show and like the band is right there and you're like the audience is right there in front of the band and there's no kind of like there's no fourth wall. Like I hate the fourth wall in theater and I just wanted to like. Like that was all that that's what the pumpkin pie show was a sweaty mess. I remember the one that I was at you telling a story about how you dated the girl whose dad was in Chud. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make you tell a story now because it was, I remember just rolling the way that you did it with oh, the man. mask. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. It's so funny. That's, um, so one of my longtime friends who was in the show her name is Hannah Cheek, and Hannah's dad, Douglas Cheek, directed Chud. Mm. And um, it was a you know like we we met in college. She was wearing a Chud shirt in the cafeteria, and like I went up to her and was like, "I'm a Chud fan," and she was like, "Nobody like he was like nobody says that to me." And she's like, wearing that, a shirt for her dad's movie. Love, <laughs> yeah. That, everything about that that just doesn't sound like a teenager to me go ahead no my kids think i'm the lamest person ever and have nothing to do with horror in that capacity so yeah yeah Yeah. but she was in college by that time so maybe she'd come to terms with it maybe she came back i mean like she was on set i mean i'm telling her story i feel bad about this but like like she she was on she was like seven like six five when when her dad was making she was a little kid when they were making chud and to her she didn't have the under like the, the kind of comprehension that chuds are not real because there would be guys in costumes lumbering around and and she'd be like you know she'd be like what's that and somebody'd be like oh that's a chud so like for her chud was real and you know in our kind of befriending of one another like i i wrote this version of her life not real not not true but like i was like what would it be like for Hannah, the daughter of the director of Chud, who grew up in this world of Chud, to start dating a fan of Chud who was obsessed with Chud and like wanted to like like this is so icky, but like you know like it, like you know like all the kind of like all the the kind of relationshipy things of like you know put on the Chud mask and like you know like do like it like it 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 was awful but it was it hilarious was. it was surrealist <laughs> and weird and hilarious and yeah so that that is a taste of what the pumpkin pie show was but it was just like these monologues just one right after another and you had one about a slumber party that i remember as well um <laughs> that was that i will um say can you tell us just a smidge of the slumber party story i don't even remember who I'm, that one was from i'm trying to remember that's uh, all i can oh. remember it was it was like a slumber party gone wrong Oh God. If I'm, Oh uh, yeah. Okay. That, um, there was this true story. I, I don't know if this is right. So 
but there, there was this news event where like there was a ring of pedophiles who basically were there was one of them who looked very very young and this was, was somehow... not that story the one okay, that okay, I never mind never mind scratch that that got um, dark <laughs> what is the I don't. I, I now I want to know how I that connects to sleepovers because you totally <laughs> had me hooked. Like now, you don't get. Now to we have to know the rest of that it's not one what as well. I think it is. It's not that he threw slumber parties. He threw slumber parties. Oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. oh. Wait. So I'm trying. I'm totally blanking on the slumber party. It was the one that I was at. There was one about a flesh-eating virus um, that I remember. <laughs> And then there was the Chud mask. And I might be mixing years because I went two years in a row. Um, and I thought I won about a mermaid, maybe. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, those are the ones. God. But I remembered one about a slumber party, which might be a fever dream. But yeah. Um, but <laughs> thus is my my very crappy segue into slumber parties. So, Elric, tell the folks at home what we're doing tonight. What are we doing tonight? I, I, I wrote this as a kernel of an idea weeks ago, and I don't think we've spoken since. And then suddenly it came back like two days ago. I'm like, oh, all right, let's do it. Um, I think, well, we were just talking about uh, the storytelling and the kind of I feel like that might be getting lost now, maybe with streaming. I don't know the way younger people are kind of consuming movies, but I remember thinking about it a bit when we saw Satanic Panic, um, Chelsea's film, and thinking, oh, this feels like a movie that would have been discovered on a sleepover, like, years ago, <laughs> if, if they could. It really has that feeling to it, which I like. Um, and I was just remembering, usually it was about three movies that, that we had watched, you know, maybe more as you got older, but just trying to feel like everyone had a different way of doing it. We all have stories connected to it. And, you know, eating sugar has never been good since then. Like, that was when I wanted to eat something. Like, I'd go to somebody's house and they'd have Captain Crunch and I was never, I'd never tried Captain Crunch. I wasn't allowed Captain, we didn't get that in New Zealand. I came to America, went to a slumber party. I was like, oh, I'm in. This is what I want. Um, so I think we all have stories. So we thought we would design each of us uh, a three film, you know, mini uh, sleepover event, I guess. Um, and I'm just kind of curious how everyone, it could be totally random how we approach this, but I was curious how everyone would do it. Yeah, and we also wanted to hear any good sleepover stories that you have. Um, like, I will kick off with one that I think I've told on probably Killer POV, like way back when, where um, when I was eight, Demons 2 had just come out. And so I was at Shelly Collette's house for her um, nine-year-old birthday party, and her mom let her watch whatever she wanted. And so she and I, and Katie was there as well, um, we rented Demons 2. Now, we had not seen Demons 1. We were eight years how old. How did you get Demons um, 2 at Shelley. eight? <laughs> it was on VHS. Yeah, but yeah, how did I'm it get sure in your, her okay, her mom. Okay. I'm sure her mom rented yeah. it for us. And I remember the three of us being at the video store in my crappy little hometown video store on track video and looking at all the different covers and then seeing that demons too. And it's like the demon coming out of the television and being like, badass, let's get that one. And we took it back and it, I'd seen scary movies at that point, but nothing like that. And the idea of the demon coming out of the television melted mm. my brain so bad because we were watching it at Shelly Collette's birthday party on the TV. And it's about a birthday party and a demon coming out of the TV. 
And I just remember being so terrified. And she had this 19, this is like 1988, probably. She had this waterbed and um, it was like this massive, like queen size waterbed. And I remember laying in it that night and every single bump, I would think that the demon was inside the waterbed. Like, I don't even know people who have waterbeds anymore. Do they still make those? Um, But it was very 1980s waterbed too, with like massive wood all around it. But yeah, um, that was, that was definitely a slumber party. And I remember seeing nightmare four and five back to back at a slumber party Mm around that same time and being scared to death as well. The motorcycle scene, like I know five is laughable now, but that scene where like the motorcycle where he's becoming the motorcycle, that fucked my shit up at like nine years old. Sure. How could I not? And it was a chance to push the envelope a little bit because you're around friends. You're you're all together. Mm -hmm. So you could take things you might not yet be, have worked up to alone to watch by yourself. This was a chance to do that. That, That's similar one I had of that. And it, it really is one of those moments that really fucks you up is we didn't realize that there was a reanimator one and somehow one of the kids had brought home this movie called, you know, I think it's just called bride reanimator. Right. So, so we didn't realize there was something before it and we put it on. And if you watch that again, I, I had forgotten how it opens, but it opens with a head that has been, you know, doc, the doctor's head from the first one severed talking directly to the screen saying, you bastard, you did this to me. And I remember looking around going, what the fuck are we watching? Like, and I'm, you know, we're 10 years old and it was one of the craziest. And then you're just, they jump right into it because it's a sequel and they're doing things with bodies and reanimate that my brain was not ready for. And it really was one of the more like strange nights I've ever, it's like, it really felt like a fever dream. No, no movie, I think since. And it kind of makes me feel bad for people who didn't get to experience them out of order. I don't know. <laughs> special you know Priya, slumber parties yeah i went to a lot of slumber parties growing up um i was never a good slumber par- i i am such a not i'm not a morning person or a night person <laughs> i'm exhausted just period and have been since i was born and i, I so slumber <laughs> parties were a problem for me because i would always want to fall asleep before everyone else i was like ready for bed like i'd show up and i was ready for bed uh so I didn't love them, but I loved the social socializing aspect. So I'd always go to them. But I I was always scared that people were going to like freeze my bra or like, you know, all the things <laughs> they did and put toothpaste in my nose and stuff like that. Um, uh, but yeah, I watched a lot of horror movies. I think that th- it really was a, um, a gateway for for me because we would go to the video store and we would rent horror movies like us, like all of the like teen tween kind of girls and um. Uh, I distinctly remember watching When a Stranger Calls. That one and Clue were our favorites. But When a Stranger Calls was one of our favorites and we'd rent it. And then we tried and then we had a camera like a camcorder, which shows, shows how old I am. We're like we had one camcorder and had one VHS in it. And like uh, we remade it like we tried to remake the like mm-hmm. When a Stranger Calls, like her answering the phone. And uh, uh, like, I, I don't know where that video is. Um, uh, and I directed it. And I think about that a lot because I'm like, I didn't insist because I was so bossy and I'm sure I would have insisted on starring in it or something like it seems like like that's what I would have done. But instead, I for some reason was behind the camera, which I don't know what that that means about my my life trajectory. But no, we that's did. So, that's beautiful. Yeah. No, that is. I had we had the same thing. I had a camcorder and it was like one of the giant clunky ones that you dropped the VHS tape into yeah. and 
and then you can put it right in and you're trying to edit while you record um, because you can't later unless you're doing two VCRs back and forth. No, No, we, we made tons of movies like that, but did you also do um, what every girl's slumber party that I ever went to turned into, which was conjuring the devil. Um, I'm assuming there was a lead as a feather, stiff as a board, Ouija and incantations in any capacity. A little bit, but like, so weirdly I, and I don't, I didn't realize this obviously at the time, but I was, I was very like small town, East Texas, satanic panic. So We were we were scared of that stuff because I was like, there are people out there drinking baby's blood like we like were I was convinced all that was real um, and uh, was really scared, which will get to my my choices. I was really scared at that time that I had accidentally join a satanic cult. Mm. That was a real fear I had. I was like, how am I going to join a cult? Will I not know? Am I somehow going to be like executing children and or they're going to execute me? I'm a child. Um uh, like, so I know we weren't doing as much of that fun stuff, which I wish sounds so much cooler. We were mostly making like dance videos, which I think is still popular with tween girls. So yeah, uh, made a lot of dance videos and then remaking the movies we saw um, and, and print calling boys. As you do. I mean, like now with caller ID and cell phones, I mean, that feels like a total lost art of prank calling boys. But um, no, we definitely did some devil conjuring so much so that I remember specifically my friend Terry was no longer able allowed to spend the night at my house because her mom said I was satanic. She's probably right. Um, but yeah, like every single time somebody came over for a slumber party, it was like pizza horror movie. And who's got the Ouija board ready to go? And that was every single time. Yeah. Clay, slumber parties. Yeah, I was a, you know, I, I totally did slumber parties and I, I was always the first to go to bed. So like, I always had the, the wiener on my <laughs> forehead and, you know, in Sharpie. Um, but like, you know, it's so funny because my kind of pivotal um, memory of slumber party was Billy Drosty lived up the street from me and uh, his older sister would always babysit Michael Bailey, who was much younger than me and Billy, but Michael lived down, like, like he was my neighbor. And so Billy's sister babysat Michael, which always meant me and Billy would go over to Michael's house while Billy's sister was babysitting. And like, for some cruel kind of suburban reason like billy and i would always try to convince michael like we had this whole theory like plan to convince michael that billy and i were werewolves Mm. and that we you know that we were going to turn into werewolves on the next full moon and i had a uh new fiddlin uh like a big one of those big hairy new fiddlin dogs like Mm -hmm. new 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 fiddlins um and her name was muffles and we like took like we took a like a a dog brush, dog comb, and like combed <laughs> muffles. So like all of this, like all of this, like fine hair, like this, like fur from from muffles. Like we just took like as much of it as we could get from those like wire wire brushes, and like we gin- like we went like we snuck out. Like the sleepover was at my house. We waited. Billy and I like snuck out with this like bu- you know bushel of muffle hair and uh like strung it along billy's oh no i'm sorry michael's uh window and like <laughs> left hair outside his window so like that was proof that like we had come to his house like you know so like the next morning you know we'd be like billy you know like 
you know, Billy, are you feeling okay? I was like, oh, I don't know what happened, you know? And Michael was like, there's, there's hair, there's fur outside my window. And like, we had convinced him that we were, we were werewolves. And like, this was like our big thing. So like the next time that Billy's older sister babysat Mike, little Michael Bailey, like we, like we like had again, like a slumber party at my house. And like the two of us like snuck out um, into like to their house um, and like started like doing the like, like the kind of like scratching on the windows, like, like just like trying to like do the claw thing. Um, and the lights turn on and it's Michael Bailey's dad uh, in the window. And he's like, he's doing the, like, I'm not happy with this sort of Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, arms cross thing. And like, we totally like got caught and basically had to apologize. And, uh, basically like we were, we had to tell our parents that we were traumatizing this little, (laughs) little Michael Bailey in our neighborhood. And, uh, we, uh, we learned the error of our ways and never turned into werewolves again. Now you write horror books, which is like very fitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty awful of us, but Michael turned out to be really cool about it. He was, I was going like, to say, yeah. do you still talk to Michael? Is he okay? He's not. We're like Facebook edgy. friends. It's amazing. <laughs> like how like social media connects you to people that like, oh yeah, I used to traumatize you. When we were little there was kids a kid. There was a kid in my kindergarten class that he was um, a redhead. He was the only other redhead in my entire school. And prior to kindergarten, I'd never seen another redhead. And I hated him for that. And I tried to cut his hair in kindergarten. And um, we're now friends on Facebook. And that was like one of my first messages was like, remember when I cut that chunk out of your hair in kindergarten? I'm sorry about that, man. I'm sorry. I don't think you need to apologize for something you did when you were five, by the way. I think that's, I think you think that the, the, whatever, like you should be forgiven for things you did when you were five. Mm-hmm. No, he's still a fucking redhead. There can be only one. So um, yeah, taking him down. But um, let's dig into some slumber party curation. And I think um, Elric, since you're all jet lagged, you're going to kick us off. Well, are we going to do one each and then go around? Or are we going to let's do it. All right, let's do it. Um, all right. So I, I, I kind of found a formula for mine that I remembered was pretty close to how I would have picked back then, which was I would start fun. I'd then go freaky and then I'd go fucked. So it's just like a slight progression, you know, something that will get us in something where we'll push limit. And then at the end, it's like, oh, shit, this is going to keep us awake or make somebody uh, piss themselves. One of the two. Uh, and so my first one, which is fun and freaky, uh, but I, I just watched it again about a week ago. And man, this movie is so much better than I even remembered. It, it was uh, Toby Hooper's Funhouse. It's a really terrific, like, it's one of those movies that you think, oh, yeah, it's just like that carnival movie, and it is, but it actually really pushes the envelope. The sexuality stuff is really weird. There's all the stuff about uh, he's trying to uh, he's trying to have sex with the, the creature who's got a Frankenstein mask at one point that they're observing is trying to sleep with the, uh, I guess she's the clairvoyant uh, part of the carnival, and she's charging him all this money, and he's getting increasingly mad, and he comes too quickly, and then he kills her, and it's, and it's actually really shocking like watching the scene take place it's one of those things that all these people these teenagers you start in this movie that's 
goofy fun and they're just observing this thing and then you see the scene play out and it's uh kind of played out very empathetically uh which is surprisingly given what it's about and so it really that part of it just totally surprised me this time rick baker does the creature and it's just this incredible under this frankenstein mask because it was universal so they could get away with it he, he has this kind of split face and he's got these wild red eyes and this white hair going everywhere and at, at, because it's hooper i think he always does empathize with this creature even though we're watching a movie you know through the eyes of the teenage I think that's something that sets him apart as a filmmaker uh, who, who he positions you with. Um, but this film is, it's also just really fun. Once you get into it, it's actually kind of scary. Uh, and I think it's kind of a perfect, I was thinking about movies that would actually be perfect in a sleepover. I didn't, I didn't see the, see this one in a sleepover. I think this would be a perfect uh, kind of launch pad for a lot of people who might, maybe they'll follow our sleepovers uh, if they have a couple of days, but yeah, this one, this one really held up for me. So I just watched this one. Nice. Um, so I titled mine, all of us bitches, um, which is our word, not yours. Um, so, but I, I started thinking back about, um, when I was a teenager doing slumber parties that witchcraft and kind of the celebration of witches was always a theme, whether we were doing Ouija or let as a feather stiff as a board. And in the nineties, um, which I will lead to, there were these films that were coming out that were kind of celebrating witches. Like it wasn't a scary thing. Like I think teen, witch is probably one of the big reasons I'm here. Um, and hocus pocus, like it was just this fun witch. And so I themed mine as a celebration of witchcraft. And I did your same kind of arc where you were doing fun, scary, like, um, and, and trying to vary it up. So I'm kicking my evening of a celebration of the power of witches off with autopsy of Jane Doe. Um, because I think that it is a really nice one in because it is, is, kind of the celebration of the power of witchcraft. Um, but at the same time, it has really fun scares to it. Like I just love the jump scares and autopsy of Jane Doe. And I have seen this movie multiple times now and feel like it does hold up. And I love watching it with people. This is one of those ones that like, I made my mom sit down and watch just cause it was so fun to watch it with her and watch other people. Cringe. That's the most you've yeah. jumped. I remember we saw that one and you were jumping through the roof, but until we saw smile, until and we saw smile, smile has eclipsed it in terms of the amount of jump scares that you I'm a jumper. I fun. am. No. I also jumped during smile. Yeah. I actually kind of shouted in yeah. the theater in an embarrassing way where I was like, ah, I like made a noise. And I was like, I verbalized yeah. like that's kind of a why I never do that. No, I think I did, too, no. actually. So it's good. I always think that like when, when I stopped doing that, I've been doing this for too long and it doesn't happen. Like there will always every couple of years be one movie that makes me like scream out loud or jump and Elric's Mm. been next to me for most of these. And yeah, that's, um, he always looks over like, what the fuck is wrong? No, it's awesome. That's why Um, I go to it. I I think it's so fun to see movies like that, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so yes. Autopsy of Jane Doe. Bria. Um, I did a theme well, so I've been listening to this book called cultish. Have you all listened to this It's about like the language and, um, uh, uh, I, it's, it's a book you can read it, but I'm just happy mm. to be listening to it. And I was walking around listening to it. It's about the language of cults and, and just like how they, who joins them, why people get into them. And I was thinking about, um, the cult of, of, um, uh, teenage girlhood, which is not a not it's not a cult specifically, but I do think there were things about my teenage years that when she's talking about the way cults work and the insider outsider and like there was a point in time where I got like ousted by like all the girls at my school and they were really mean to me and I never recovered from that. And um, 
uh, in like seventh or eighth grade. And um, I basically shaved my head and just went. I was like, I'm punk now. Fuck, call y'all. Um, and but uh, but it was like a weird time. Anyway, so I was thinking about the cult of the teenage girl because like female friendships are so strong that they almost are cult like. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I'm using that just as a random jumping off place to talk about cult movies. And I kind of chose cult movies with cults that I would consider joining. And again, this was a big fear for me when I was younger. Uh, and, and cults that I'm like, or that I might accidentally join because I'm there and I'm like, oh, I guess I could join this. I don't know. <laughs> so these are all cults that Bria Grant might possibly join on accident um, in these. So again, so I like I was looking at like the void, but I'm like, I wouldn't join the void. That's too scary. But um, I'm going to start with uh, a friend of y'all's friend of mine, Justin and Aaron's The Endless, because it's not that wild of a cult. Like it's, so it's like these guys go out to this place and they, there's these people and they seem pretty happy. And, um, uh, then some weird stuff starts happening. And if you showed me that thing with that rope, I don't think it's giving anything away. There's a rope in the sky and like, you can't, and you're trying to pull it and it's just there. And like, if you showed me that I would probably join your cult. Cause I would be like, well, I guess I have to buy into this. And um, this is like the least scary cult, I think, of the ones that I'm going to talk about. Um, so, yeah, that's my first one, because I think it's fun, uh, uh, but also like a like a cult I might join. Maybe I can talk my other teenage girls to join here at this party. Uh, oh, I would totally join that cult. That's they seem one. like they, they've got their shit together. Yeah. Yeah. They seem like they're working it out. Um, I don't know why Justin and Aaron didn't join. They didn't join it. I don't think at the end, I haven't seen the movie in a few years, but I don't know why they weren't in immediately. You know, yeah. uh, I think, uh, Aaron was on board, but Justin wasn't, I think that was, I think they have names that are not that in the movie. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's my first one. Nice. Clay, where are you taking us? Um, I had a hard time, but I, I wanted to do something that felt personal so i went my theme is slumber party movies that i remember uh fucking me over when i watched them uh like traumatizing movies that i watched at other people's houses um and the the kind of i think i might i might peak early but my the the kind of pivotal moment was deadly friend wes craven's deadly friend and it was you know, again, of that VHS era, like, you know, we had the, you know, someone's parent basically rented it. Uh, it had what Christy Swanson um, mm-hmm. as the, as our deadly friend. But uh, the one, when, when you get to the scene with the basketball and, oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. This is embarrassing. But the actress who played the mother and throw mama from the train and then Goonies, uh, she was the, the kind of the, the angry, grumpy neighbor who like basically like always threatened to like shoot shoot you with a shotgun if your basketball went into her yard and she gets she basically gets decapitated with a basketball by Christy Swanson um and my the group of friends was Jamie and Matt Walker oh my god they basically like Matt Walker was the older brother and he would like he bear hugged me from behind and made like like basically like clockwork oranged me where like I had to kind of like watch this thing and Jamie would rewind the the head explosion in Deadly Friend and like play it 
rewind it, replay. It. Like we just watched that scene over and over again. And we had just eaten pizza. Like it was like cheese pizza. Like was like every, like it was, it was like one of those. And I like, I barfed. Oh, like wow. it was the barfing moment of like, I mean, like head explode, head explode, pizza, cheese pizza. I mean, it, it was just oh. like tomato sauce. Um, but yeah, deadly friend. That's my first choice. Wow. Has, has a movie ever made you guys throw up? I'm trying to think if I've ever thrown up from a movie before. Definitely gotten queasy during uh, Human Centipede Two. I could say I could see yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that one's that one's pretty freaking gross. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sure that something's definitely made me queasy. I'm blanking on something right now, but it would it would definitely be like a dead alive, something that's like super over the top. Um, would definitely push it for me. It's amazing how some of the horror comedies are the ones when you're little that actually scare you the most. Like I remember House was terrifying, and I watch that now. I'm like, this is a funny movie. But it scared the shit out of me when I was young. It's weird. Um, From it, witches, the Roald Dahl oh yeah. movie. Oh, when I was a kid, scared me. That like my kids started to put it on because they've seen the new one and they were going to put on the old one. And immediate, I had this like mom instinct of I don't think we should watch that guys. That's yeah. really scary. And they're like, Mom, it's like rated, you know, like age six. And I'm like, No, no, guys, it's really scary. I, and it is scary. I remember it being scary. Well, they hate children. I, that movie hates children. Yeah. It does want to destroy the children. So I think there's there's reason for no, that. No, they've seen Tremors. They've seen Jaws, Beetlejuice, Ghostbusters, but witches. I'm like, No, guys, we can't handle that as a family. Like, I'm gonna need to leave the house. So yeah. Um, but yeah, all right, take us to round. Oh two. yeah, for me, uh, getting freaky. This this one's just I, I my friend up the street had the po- the other great thing about the that period in the like i guess late 80s early 90s was how you'd have movie posters from the video store to movies you've never seen just because they gave it to you and so my friend had the poster for the u.s version uh creepers not phenomena but in u.s it was cut by like four, 35 minutes and we would always look at this thing and we knew who jennifer connelly was because we'd seen labyrinth but we didn't know what this movie was for years it was on his wall and we finally got it and i actually it, it ended a new beverly marathon a couple years ago, the, the shorter version of it. And it was probably the most fun in a theater movie I've ever seen play to a crowd. It, it Because it's a bonkers movie and it goes so weird. It's uh, it's also a, for a sleepover. It's perfect because it's a sleepwalker movie. It's about Jennifer uh, Conley, who's I don't know how old she is, maybe 13 in this. She is at some uh, Am- fancy, I think it's in Amsterdam or somewhere like that, Swiss Alps, I think, uh, Institute. And she kind of feels rejected by all her friends. She has this weird power to communicate with bugs, any, any kind of insect, uh, kind of a psychic power. And I guess because Argento had read an article saying that bugs had been used to solve cases before uh, of course he put these things together and he's like well she's gonna have dreams where the bugs help her solve a series of brutal murders and, and it's it's weird because it's like a kid's movie when she's in it but the killings are brutal in this film mm-hmm. really ugly like at the start it's a very one of the most kind of of all his films it's one of the most rough kind of opening murders i think um it takes you by surprise and it's got you know donald pleasance as a uh, as this uh in- insect uh, doctor and it has uh, an ape called inga with a switchblade by the end where you're like what the hell is happening um but it really does go to some really weird places and i think it's got such a dreamy quality the whole time and mostly you'll just remember for the one dubbed line where she's on the phone she's like i don't want to be murdered and you're like oh, okay um that's that's stubborn for you but it's it's a really cool film but i do think phenomena might be a better movie but creepers cut if you're doing this at night it's just fun it's all the highlights uh that 
opening scene with the glass and yeah, everything and hands. is so goddamn intense yeah. and that because it, it memory serves and i haven't seen this movie in probably 10 years but it starts in one location and isn't there something with like a cable car yeah it's there? kind of an unrelated murder it's somebody who's chained up and one of the girls from some hike goes you know off and observes it. and it's just a it's just a very grisly thing but it is when you're watching movies like this in labyrinth there is something really interesting when the intersection of like oh children's fairy tale suddenly merges with something that's way more extreme and you don't know who the movie's for suddenly like who who are you making this for right it's it's almost too young for the adult viewer and and which is you know some of the coolest movies Mm -hmm. okay um so my number two hold on i lost my sheet um there we go my number two and this is where i figured like midpoint this is where i wanted to go super scary so continuing with the all of us bitches i went with lords of salem because had this movie come out when i was in high school I would fucking love this movie. Like it is everything that I love in the world. And I'm shocked. I put Rob Zombie on there as well. Cause most of his films <laughs> there, I, I don't hate them. They're they're, just, they're not for me. My students love them. My students, my 20 somethings where his version of Halloween hit right at that time or devil's rejects came out right during their formative years. They think he is like, you know, he's their version of Carpenter. Yeah. There's but a new, his- cause I'm in Halloween too. Oh, I'm, yeah. in, I'm in his Halloween too. And I will say no one wanted to talk to me about that movie for many years. And now there's like a new generation of people who have an interest in this movie and they want to talk to me about this movie. And it's like this younger, like, yeah, like early 20s type. Yeah, thing. my college students, his prime, like Devil's Reject, Halloween, Halloween 2, hit while they were like 13 to 16. Yeah, that makes sense. And they very much view it in such the same way as I do like a Wes Craven or a John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And um, so he he definitely, I, I will, most of his movies aren't for me, but for some reason, Lords of Salem hit. I liked that one so much. I still can't believe that Blumhouse made that movie. It does not feel like a Blumhouse film, but it is a Blumhouse produced movie. Um, and that the the punk rock vibe, her is this kind of disgruntled badass, how the witches become infused and it's simultaneously powerful yet scary. Like this movie messed me up the first time that I saw it and that droning sound of the music and everything and how it is scary witches and i love the idea of the crone um is something that i've always been real fascinated with and and like the female body and how um usually it's like the crone is this thing that's looked on as this thing of horror like x where it's like you know the female body when it's older is like this absolutely horrifying thing it's granny horror you know elder exploitation but in this one it is simultaneously like scary but a thing of power and I know that 16-year-old me would have fucking loved that movie. Yeah, the aesthetic, if that movie had been successful, I, I think it's one of the biggest bummers in recent movies was that that did mm-hmm. so badly when it came out, it absolutely changed his, you know, where he could have been going because that was his like Bava, Fulci movie. And it's so fucking great on an aesthetic level. And then after that, it just kind of goes straight back to what he was already doing, which is fine and, and satisfies the fans. But I think he might have gone a different enjoy direction. 31. I think that's the next one he did after that. And I actually, I found 31 to be amusing. But yes, it was a return to like true zombie form. But straight up, everyone should start with the first uh, 15 minutes of Halloween too. His Halloween too. The first 15 minutes of that, like it's it's okay. it's, its own mini movie and it's better mm-hmm. than most Halloween movies, I think. You know, it's pretty cool. And stick around because you'll get yeah, to see uh, one Bria Grant yeah. walking around <laughs> with glasses. Whoa. Surviving. Oh, you see the movie. 
Totally. I just, okay. spoiler, <laughs> um, for a movie that came out yeah. 10 years ago. Um, mine, you want mine? Uh-huh. What's your second one? Okay, my second one of cults that Bria would probably join. Now, this is one that I think I might join. This is one I'm pretty interested <laughs> in. I'll make sure I, I say the name of the filmmaker correctly. It's um it's not exactly horror, but it's horror adjacent. It's um The Sound of My Voice. Yeah. Love by, uh, it. Yeah. Batman Glee. How do you think you say his name? I want to make sure I'm not butchering it. Batman Britt Marling's Glee. partner, right? In all these things, all the films. Yeah, so she didn't direct. I don't think she directed this one. She co-writes them, right, with him, I think. She co-writes them and honestly would join a cult that Britt Marling started. So I Mm -hmm. would definitely join this one. I feel like I would follow her and her gorgeous hair until the end of time. Um, If you haven't seen this, this um, she had this one and then she had... um, uh, another world, another world, uh, like right around the same time they both like came out. And I, for me as an actress at the time who was like trying to write and starting to write and hadn't directed my first movie yet, but I uh, was, was kind of gearing up to do it. Um, it was, I, I loved this movie. Um, but it, yeah, it's about a woman who's says she's coming back from the future and, uh, now she's here and she, uh, uh, has a little cult and these two, um, uh, people are going to expose her like and it's just a very small cult. It's like just in her house, like in a basement. Uh, uh, um, and uh, there's this great part in it where they're like, sing us some songs from your time. And she starts singing a song and it's the cranberries. So and it's yeah. just so amazing and uncomfortable because <laughs> they're like, we know that song. Uh, it's from. It's it's from this time. And she's like, oh, wow. Like, she does. it's just such an amazing movie in that way that Britt Marling can do sci fi, like creepy sci fi, but um, with no real specific answers. I also loved her show. But um, I, yeah, so this is my that's my second pick for cults that I might join that. Honestly, if she called me today, I might join that cult if she told me she was from the future. I would totally join that cult. Like there was just, she just was so beautifully real in that. And and it was painted so real and beautiful. And I remember watching it because um, it was right when we were casting out Creatures, my first film that we made for like a pittance. And um, I remember that we had cast Constance Wu and the only thing yeah. I had ever seen her in was Fresh Off the Boat. And oh. I was like, that does not feel like the Constance that, you know, we we wanted in the movie and so everybody was like you need to watch sound of my voice she's yeah. great in that and she's one of the cult members in it it was one of her she and i she's one of my my uh longest la pals and it was i remember when she got the role she, she got the role um I, this is sort of her story to tell but one of the things i know they made her do in the audition was that scene you know where they all throw up they have There's to like throw a- up the apple yeah, and she, that was like one of her audition scenes, which was so shocking. And we were all in acting class at the time. We we're like, wow, I can't believe they made you do that scene. And then she got the role, which was, I mean, a huge thing because she hadn't done anything hardly at the mm-hmm. time. So it was a big, a big thing. But um, yeah, yeah. Britt Marling, give me more of her work. I would love it. Yeah, definitely. Clay, what are we watching second at your place? Um, we're going to watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. And it's because... One the night that we watched it, this group of friends, uh, Jason, it, it was <laughs> Jason, uh, Mark Victor, um, Jason Bowden, Mark Victor, like we like like we did this the sleeping bag slumber party, and I don't know if this was pre planned or not, but you know as as the kind of first to fall asleep type, uh, we were watching Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, 
and uh it was at Jason's house and Jason had the like I was drifting and they they had and I was in my sleeping bag you know on the floor kind of like this um the, the screen is here and um Jason and Mark and whoever else was with us basically went and they went into the kitchen the fridge got whatever tomatoes were actually <laughs> in the fridge snuck up behind me as I was drifting off like just like like lifted up like in in quick like three second succession they like lifted up the hem of my sleeping bag just like pelted me with tomatoes and then like like cinched me in to the sleeping bag and started <laughs> oh my God. Like, like just doing the like like Friday the 13th <laughs> part seven like kind of like in in the living room where it's just like they're like running me so it's just like covered in raw tomato with the like attack of the killer tomato like it was like it was like really it sucked um and I had to take a bath because <laughs> like, like, I had it was like I had my pjs and tomorrow's clothes and that was that was it so I like I think I had like borrow like a pair of Jason's PJs or something like like basically I had to borrow clothes because I like like there's been a tomato theme to your to your story so that's right pizza I I think that's I'm waiting for the last one (laughs) I might be tapped out on tomatoes but I mean you have have a minute we're we're a tomato-based society the us horror fans you know No, <laughs> no, I, uh, that movie, I absolutely, my mom showed me that. I remember seeing that when, um, I was really little and it was one of those things that my mom showed me cause she thought it was fun. And I always had these flashbacks of part two being really good. Like I was always like, I remember part two being so funny. It's got George Clooney in it. And then a couple of years ago when we were doing killer POV, I watched it again and it actually really holds up. It's a fun film. It's kind of over the top um, in much like a Tammy and the T-Rex way. Mm. But I mean, it's killer tomatoes. So, but there is, there is a humor behind it and something that's really fun and meta about it where occasionally George Clooney um, will step out of character and he'll be like, oh, I need something to write on. Have a page of my script. And they're, they keep acknowledging that they're filming the movie. Like there's a part where they get all this sponsorship. And so they're constantly promoting all these things. And then the camera pulls back and the director's like sitting in a car directing now. And yeah, it's, it's like got this fun meta vibe to it. So I, I have to give some love to return of the killer tomato. Does, does a tomato come into a hot tub and kill somebody? Is I that, think that tech? might be in the first one. Is that a tech? that always that scared me so bad when I was a kid that I was scared to get in hot tubs for a while. Get it? I totally. So tomatoes, Clay, you got to live up to this. So. Yeah. Um, and wild pranks. I like all the pranks and all your stories. Um, yeah, my last one's just, I, this is where we go dark and fucked. Uh, this is a movie that I think would just, if I had seen this when I was, I didn't see this when I was young. If I had, it would have, I wouldn't have slept that night. And that is, uh, don't go in the house, uh, by Joseph Ellison. This is one of those movies. It's, it, it exists somewhere between psycho and maniac in terms of like, it's a psycho rip, but it's closer in, t- in that kind of brutal, uh, tone as maniac, but this is like the New Jersey version. And I think the director 
director only really did one film uh, that was known. And it's like this guy very, he gives like the most New Jersey performance and it's quite a big performance. Um, his name's Donnie. He works at a, at a factory as an incinerator guy. And, and it's kind of almost goofy. And then the horror kicks in. And when they go horror with this movie, it is so frightening. He basically has access to like a flamethrower and the incinerator costume that you wear the fire retardant thing and he goes to discos so there's these long disco scenes where he's trying to pick up women and he'll bring a woman home and they'll be getting along and then he'll end up chaining her to something in a in a room that's completely made of you know like uh whatever the hell it is i want to say tin but it's not tin. um and and he'll go in there with this thing and burn them alive and it's one of the most one as far as exploitation images go it's one of those images that you never forget because it's really quite haunting and it was like it's not in the movie as much as as probably to make it a better movie now if that's all it was i'd be like oh it's a really dark messed up you know misogynist exploitation film but it has such creepy payoff which is basically all the way through you're having these flashbacks of what his mother kind of what you were talking about Rio, in terms of growing up where you did his mother believed uh the devil or satan or something anytime he did wrong she would put his um his wrist over the hot fire of the stove and burn him. And that was her technique. So the, the flashbacks are very almost too real too, like that feeling you get of, you know, he's being abused as a child. And so what starts happening towards the end, the last half of this movie, that is what makes this movie to me really hold up is he starts seeing all the victims and including his mother and all his victims are around the house, just sitting there completely burned. And they are some of the best creepiest things I've ever seen in any movie. They remind me of maybe Santa Sangre or something by Jodorowsky. They're very, very creepy and, very, and they're coming for him slowly and as he's losing his mind, basically. And you're watching this. So this is the kind of movie that has lots of different um, tones to it because it is, like I said, it's almost goofy, some of the the Jersey pickup disco type, discotheque stuff, but it really pays off in the end. And, um, and, and it doesn't just become some misogynist slasher film, which it alludes to becoming a lot of the time it becomes something else by the end and uh it's really good and haunting and i think this would really i don't think anyone's sleeping for an hour after this crazy little movie i can't believe you put this on during a slumber party yeah like, it's this like, is like the most fucked up film ever i needed it to peak you know so so that's my three that is definitely a peak um so yeah that is an intense intense film that is that i mean it was just two dudes uh, at my slumber party i mean i didn't you know what who was i trying to impress i mean we're eating captain crunch (laughs) um so for my third i figured for me i didn't go super intense for the end i kind of wanted to like um bring my celebration of witches to a head and so i went very traditional with the craft for this um because this was peak slumber party years for me this was like 16 i was probably 16 when the craft came out 15 16 and um so this was literally both this amazing scary horror film but it was a celebration of witchcraft is ultimately what it is is this kind of celebration of friendship witchcraft and the camaraderie that it brings until that completely falls apart because they're teen girls. Um, And I have vivid memories of me and my friends after we saw it standing outside trying to control the wind. And so it'd be like, okay, everybody focus really hard and we're going to make it windy. Okay. Close your eyes and try to make it windy. And then, because we lived on a hill in the middle of the Appalachian mountains, you know, it's always fucking windy. Um, So then it's like a slight gust of wind and we'd be like, we did that. We did 
did that. Um, I have vivid memories sitting in class trying to do that thing where she rotates the pencil on her tip. Like that got me through like AP history, um, was just trying to get that to work. Um, and I'm sure at some point it held for like a split second and I was like, (gasps) and then it completely fell over. But yeah, so I am ending on the craft. And I also included a palate cleanser because that is something that I find I still do. If I'm watching um, a really intense horror film, not that the craft is, but if I've been watching a really intense night of horror, I will come home or um, even if I'm watching it online, have to watch a palate cleanser before I go to bed, something to like erase whatever that was that I just watched. And so as a palate cleanser, I included Practical Magic, um, which I just love this movie so much. It is just such um, just a wonderfully composed, acted, just a beautiful story. So Practical Magic is my palate cleanser. (laughs) Okay, Bria, take us to another cult. Um, My last cult one that I would probably join is is the invitation I'm going it's not classic but it should be at this point uh, by Karen Kusama I almost said something when you said the last one because I thought characters from that movie could have been at the dinner party of this movie like oh you know 100%. what I mean it feels like they're in the yes. same world yeah yeah and I could see me showing up to this slumber this this slumber party this dinner party same thing it turns into a slumber party um I could see me showing up to this dinner party someone being like in the same way, I, I just rewatched Go recently. I don't know if y'all have seen yeah. that in a long time, but there's mm-hmm. this part in the middle where they think that they're going to maybe have sex with these people. And then it turns out they're trying to get them in a pyramid scheme. <laughs> and I feel like Karen Kusama kind of did the pyramid scheme of of, of mm-hmm. cult movies where you get invited to a thing. And I recently um, uh, accidentally went to a thing that was a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And I like was there and I was like, oh, wait, this is a pyramid mm-hmm. scheme. I should not join this. Like it was like a money one or whatever. Um, that my friend invited me to and I thought it was a financial advice thing, but it turns out it was like a, it was straight up pyramid scheme. Mm. Um, uh, and so I feel like Karen Kusama's uh, The Imitation, I might accept that invitation. I, I accidentally went to a pyramid scheme party yeah. as well, where it was supposed women to be like love to throw them women are supposed to be up, you know? like a women's only party. Like, come on, let's just sit around and talk all night. And then you get there and it was they were selling it was sex toys, which is pretty cool. Yeah, but it was a sex toy the, pyramid scheme. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to one of those, too. Um, and then, yeah, the, the financial one is really a bummer because they really make you get like deep into talking about your finances mm. and you think they're going to help you. And then at some oh point I realized it wasn't. And I was like, had friends there and I was like, we need to go. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. That, the, I yeah. would totally, I would join the invitation. Easy. Yeah. Cause I would go and I'd be like, well, this isn't like that bad of one, you know, <laughs> yeah, they got, they got wine and everybody looked really happy. I think that that's what would yeah. sell me on a cult is like, everybody seems really good with themselves. Like nobody yeah. seems to like, you know, be going through any shit here. So, All the yeah. ones I just named were fine. And they're usually fine until you have your heaven's gate moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and then they're not fine. Uh, or they're passing out the flavor aid for, uh, yeah. for the red lantern. That one is uh, you're, yeah, you're having a good time. And then the Zodiac comes and the guy from Zodiac walks in the room and the whole temperature of the movie, just you're like, Oh, Oh, no. oh I don't want him at my dinner party. So, but no. it's a great, that is one of the best horror films last like, 10 years, I think. So good. Yeah. 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 Clay, do you have more tomatoes or perhaps childhood Franks? Uh, no more tomatoes. I don't let us down. Don't I, let us down. I should have no paced up. No, I'm not going to make. Uh, there's no more tomatoes. There's no more tomato movies. Um, <laughs> I. This is this is a slightly embarrassing one, but I'm going to do it anyways in the air of transparency. But uh, Vamp. 
Um, I love this movie. Yeah, it, you know, it, you know, in the 80s, you know, fifth grade, you know, there's, there's like this certain kind of like, like I, vamp hit at the point where like I was a burgeoning young lad and, you know, it was, it was probably, it was an interesting choice for a movie for a group of fifth graders to watch um, because it's essentially, you know, vampire strippers and Grace Jones is this force of nature. And there, there, there had to be at least three of us, maybe four of us. And we were in, in the basement and it was, it was at someone else's house. And I remember watching it and feeling very tingly and like, because there's, there's the Grace Jones, Keith Haring moment, like performance art moment. And it, I mean, it was like, and it's an, an extended scene. It's, it's almost like, a, it's like a set piece in of itself. Like it, like it exists kind of outside of the realm of the, the rest of the movie. But I remember watching it and just being like, I mean, it it was it was definitely one of those moments, and I I had an erection, and it was and it was and I, I it wasn't overt in any way, but like the guy I'm not gonna name any names for this one because it's but like the guy next to me was like Clay, like Clay's got a hard on like it was like it was like a, like it was the moment where like all the guys were like oh shit like clay you got like you got a heart and it was like it was so you know like it was like shut up guys like no i don't but i did and it was like it was grace jones and it was like a like it was an intense couple summers because there was view to kill view to a kill there was like you know conan like grace jones like i feel as if my sexual awakening was by way of of Grace Jones, but it was definitely um, Vamp that did it. I'm glad you came to set the record straight. <laughs> <laughs> the part where you go, no, it was an erection. It's like yeah, all those. Totally I'm like, I erection. knew it. It was. <laughs> I knew it. I, I just like face that... those friends and let them know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> been waiting. It totally was. I feel like that's a whole nother podcast theme that we should do sometime is I learned everything I know about sex from watching horror yeah. films. Oh, um, that's true. Because I just had, as you were talking about that, I had flashbacks to watching Edge of Sanity. Um, oh, yeah, Anthony, that's a Anthony Perkins, like super sexy that my mom had rented for me. I was probably in eighth grade and she was like, it's got the guy from Psycho in it. And that thing is like pure psychosexual mm. and just like me being like, wait, what's happening? wait why are they whipping each other wait now there's now there's multiple people involved in this um yeah that's i i definitely think that that one definitely kind of gave me pause at the time when i was watching that and confusion I don't think, of how sex i don't works. think we should ever do that episode now that barbara crampton is friends with all of us in the heart <laughs> it was it was fine before all that but i think for most of us barbara crampton now that we see her every couple of weeks it's weird it's a whole different thing back then when we we're kids so anyway <laughs> Oh, amazing. Well, um, I got to say my kids, um, specifically Marnie, as I was explaining this, because I was talking about it during dinner, she decided that she wanted to do one oh. um, for kids to yeah. watch now. 
So Marnie's three recommendations for now um, were Under Wraps, which is a mummy movie Mm. on Disney right now that she says is quite good, (laughs) um, that she really enjoyed. And then she went second with Zombie the Musical Part 3, because Part 3 has zombies, werewolves, and aliens. And um, she said that that was just like a beautiful thing. And then Muppets Haunted Mansion, which is legit, like a super Oh, I still haven't seen that yet. Good, Good reminder. Yeah, it's fun. I can see there's some kinder trauma moments in it, okay. but there's, um, yeah, there's, there's, you can very much tell that the writers are huge horror fans. Like there's a fucking deathbed reference. Oh, cool. in it. Okay. Um, there's just, it's like super geeky. And then also it's a Muppets movie. So it's really fun. Um, so that is, is your kid's recommendation. Um, and all three of those are available on Disney plus they should pay us for sponsorship, but yeah, that's just what my kids have been watching all Halloween season. So yeah any other like major films that we should be watching this halloween season like what is your i feel like everybody has one comfort food that they watch at halloween time any comfort food that you guys are watching i i know barbarian just made its way to hbo Mm. max or plus or go whatever whatever the new hbo is and i feel like that that seems like a good kind of transitional like like let's catch that on you know, now that we can watch that at home. Definitely. I, I don't ever, I don't really have comfort movies. I like, unless I, I like will binge watch Parks and Recreation and 30 Rock and Community over and over again. But um, I will recommend a movie that I just watched on Shutter that I think just hit their um, Sissy, which I'm sure y'all have talked about on the show. Um, I love so that good. one. I oh was, my God. Yeah, I was at the AMC. Um, they do this big like convention-y press thing um, in New York City. And I went there with the director, um, Hannah. And and I just completely like fangirled out on her. And oh, was like, so oh my good. God, I just love your movie so much. Like, so it was, good. It was so, cool. so well done. I just was very, I was very impressed. And um, I didn't really know anything about it going into it. And it's like, you know, fun, modern female horror with, you know, influencers, but super violent. and um, yeah. contained in a really great way good rack all right comfort food what do you watch uh i don't worry about, i mean I, the old sleep legend of sleepy hollow cartoons one i could watch every season but sleepy hollow by um uh, tim burdens i also think when i started again a few years ago i was like man it's like the perfect seasonal movie it just gets you in the mood it's spooky and just it's so well made i, I really like that movie so but i don't think i have anyone other than that i would have said hocus pocus but i gotta Welcome say to hocus pocus too is even better like yeah i i have to and like hocus pocus that's like true comfort food like that hit you know right peak adolescent years for me um but yeah hocus pocus too it's a better film Mm. like it's i i think that by this time disney was like okay well people actually like this you know it took them 20 years to get hip to the fact it'd become a cult movie Mm. and hocus pocus too is like legit a really good well-made film um so if you haven't seen that one it's a lot of fun and Mm. one that i have a feeling we'll be revisiting every year but thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. Um, so where can we see Torn Hearts? Amazon Prime? Amazon Prime, Epics. I think you can still rent it if you want to do that. But go to, go to Amazon Prime. It's free. And I really liked your, Excellent. we never really talked about 12 Hour Shift, but I really liked, oh that's God. a movie that really just worked for me, like a dark comedy that I really just thought was a great movie. So mm-hmm. thanks. Thanks. If you liked that, I think Torn Hearts also has like some humor in it that hopefully, you know, put a little bit of my, my own funny takes in. Cool. Uh, but thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. That one you can watch on Hulu. Mm. If people want to watch that. It's free on Hulu. Uh, 12 hour shift. 
and ghost eaters from quirk is that right yes um yeah so this is available like everywhere now like i saw it in the airport when i was flying back from brooklyn a couple of weeks ago no you're telling me it's in the airport it was in it was in laguardia it was in the uh the la or the new york airport Get get that that New York money, that New York airport money. That's the <laughs> airport money. That's where it's at. <laughs> Definitely. And so um, Ghost Eaters, Clay McLeo Chapman, everywhere, available everywhere. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. And uh, yeah, please check out our Patreon show. Um, we did actually, if you enjoyed my daughter's three movie curation, um, one of the cheat sheets that we put out this month was um, Gateway Horror. So you can kind of figure out some stuff to watch with your kids this Halloween. Um, and please tune in on our Patreon show later on this week. We will be releasing our Deep Cuts episode. And I've watched some really weird stuff this month. Um, and Elric's been traveling so hopefully he's he's caught a couple of things as yeah well. and this is our um, halloween episode so happy halloween happy halloween everyone halloween. thanks for listening The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 